0: Reveille revely, dogs look at us now tip to tip.
1: This is our life. This is our passion That's the spirit we bring to this show.
0: I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is morning combat
1: <laughs> oh, Yeah Fra- <coughs> <coughs> Friday's just got a little arts here, right? Wow, wow. let me get a nose swab for this one. Uh, This is Morning Combat, May 13th, 2022, trying to set the weekend ablaze here in combat sports. My name is your host on this Friday's, sometimes they call me the beige one, the BBC with that B-D-E, right? Right? Brian Campbell. But uh, while you may stay for me, you come I mean, disgusting, I mean, right? I mean, like you're, you're, you're the worst person in America. I mean, I mean, can I just stop right here? You know, can I just like, you know, Pacific Ocean, Caspian Sea, Hudson River, right? Na- just name and waters, bro. Anything to break up that, that uh, awkwardness right there. But my co-host is Luke Thomas.
0: What's up, dude? Hey. Nice hey, to great, see you.
1: Great to see you. Great to be back at it and the uh, award-winning best damn combat sports show.
0: Period. Okay, yeah, it is Friday show.
1: Luke, we're only a minute in, and you look like you would rather be anywhere else than here right now. Is everything cool?
0: No, everything's good. There's nothing wrong. Uh, Godzilla is downtown. She's not back in this part of Tokyo. And uh, yes, that's good. good. All
1: right, let's do it. Uh, We got a big weekend and we got a big show to set you up for that. Of course, we're talking about Bellator back this late afternoon on Showtime. We're talking about Big Time Showtime Championship Boxing Saturday Night, the undisputed Junior Middleweight Championship rematch between Jermell Charlo and Brian Castaño. And, of course, we're talking about a very good UFC Fight Night main event in the light heavyweight division. Uh, Floyd's not going to box. More on that to come. A uh, couple other good things coming your way. We'll I mean, is wrong. that the
0: most predictable ending for all of that, that whole thing? Yeah. Whatever I, the hell that was. I mean...
1: I'm not surprised mother effers although this you know it's not his fault right it's not his fault at the end well
0: yeah I mean it's it's not it's not a it's it doesn't sound like it's a Floyd like eff up I I don't mean to suggest that but like the whole thing seems so weird I never even bothered to like look up who his opponent was because I was like this is whatever this is isn't a thing and then it turned out to not be a thing
1: Turns out, turns out not. More on that to come later in the show. Uh, Luke, a lot of people, you know, they've spoken. They said Fridays are the best episodes you guys could possibly do. Because, <laughs> Luke, it's like when they, you know, I can score, bro. But when you let me play Stockton to your Malone, okay? Again, okay, we, we got, you know, that that's, that's the special sauce, Luke, right? All right, if you say so. I mean, I'm content to understand, Luke, that if I want to be the leading scorer, it's going to have to be on a lottery team, right? I mean, I could go off for twenty nine all day and, and just make art, but that doesn't mean the masses will want it, right?
0: You're like the guy from uh, "Along Came Polly." What was it? Like, like raindrops? Yes. Like, nothing. But, yeah. Hold on. Like, let me let the, the cat out. Paul Thomas Anderson, whoever the fuck it was. Oh, you yeah. got the cat? I Bring the, the cat thing. over. I want to see. I want to see this gato. Yo, my daughter's favorite movie is "El Gato Cambotas."
1: Okay, this is uh, this is Zoe. And she's awesome, and she's violent, but she, she, you know, she loves very violently, Luke. It's, it's almost like a, uh, like a, like a bullying thing. I'm like, define yeah, well, bullying. Maybe stop Zoe.
0: rubbing the bottom of your stupid chin all over the top of her head, and she won't smack you in the face. She's, uh, she's
1: awesome though. She's amazing. Okay, look at this love. Look at this. Right. It's great. Hi Zoe. How are you? Is she, is
0: she purring? I don't hear any purring. Uh, I don't
1: know if it's actually purring, Luke. But okay, I'll let you out. Hold on one second. This is great entertainment.
0: Yo, nothing would make me happier than you getting slashed in the face by this cat. And then we run it back on, have you seen this shit on Monday?
1: Yeah, yes. Luke, I
0: unfortunately have a detailed history of uh, (laughs) of very unhappy
1: endings involving pussy. But let's keep the show moving, Luke. Here we go. Uh, We're going to set that weekend strong. And if you want merch, if you want to wear this right here, this MK Donkshire. This is a 1.0 original type of deal right here. You can go to morningcombat.store and I know you want to say, look, what's in it for you? Well, how about this? Flat rate shipping is here for MorningCombat.store. So if you live abroad or you're just sleeping with one, this is one charge, okay? One price to get that shit sent to you. So I know we probably have got a few fans in the Falkland Islands, Luke. Uh, Now they can get their their merch. They can wear it around that island for one flat rate. So check that out at MorningCombat.store. So much great stuff to go through. RJ Dunklemaker will keep you happy right there. Also, uh, the label that pays us is Showtime. And I said, look, Showtime, the king of combat sports. uh, This weekend, they're going to flex that muscle. We do have Michael Venom page, Logan Storley this evening. I believe a 4 p.m. Eastern start to that main card from London. Check that out on Showtime.com. You can get your 30 days free right now. You may F around and hang out and watch Charlo Castaño 2 tomorrow night. You're not going to want to miss that. Also, Luke, new Showbox card just announced for uh, June 10th. Hall of Fame weekend. Canastota, New York. All right. All right. Not bad. Not bad. Indeed. All right, Luke. uh, Do you have anything else that you want to you want to sell?
0: I saw Freddie Gibbs in concert last night. That was pretty cool. Who is Freddie Gibbs? Who is that man? Boy, you know, listen, I don't make any. uh, I know who I am. I'm a washed 42 year old lame as shit. You know, white guy. That's just what I am. And I accept it. I don't have any problems with it. You are in denial about that a little bit. You're the whitest guy I know, and that's—I that's well, mean, I, me, like, I, mean, I that's fell impressive asleep, that you're whiter than me.
1: I fell asleep listening to Miles Davis's 1982 uh, Star People <laughs> album, Luke. Which is Freddie just... Gibbs.
0: Freddie Gibbs is a rapper, and he's—he's uh, he's got an interesting crowd, bro. It was a weird. It was a cool crowd, but it was a weird crowd. It was like Dungeons and Dragons nerds, and then like people who are like into hardcore gangster rap. It was—it was bizarre. It was really bizarre, but it was a good show. Kind of like when show. you
1: go to, like, Wrestlemania, and you're like, oh, there's got to be some, you know, ex-jock, ex-whatever guys like me who also happen to like Wrestlemania. No, Luke, it's Cosplay Central, okay? You know what I'm saying? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not necessarily into that,
0: okay? It's not my, yeah. it's not really. I can you know. believe that. I've, I've been on the New York City subway when they had, like, New York City Comic Con. Boy, the weirdos come out that day. That's saying yeah. something for New York City. All right, they're going to need security. They're so
1: weird. But speaking of security, Luke, how about that for a great transition? We do have a fantastic partner that I'd like to uh, tell you a little about, Luke. It's called NordVPN. And and Luke, did you know straight up that VPN is is great for security and privacy by hiding your IP address and encrypting your traffic so it secures your data from cyber attacks? But the problem is the protection, Luke, is limited, right? That's the problem with most providers.
0: Except, but not with NordVPN, who has a brand new feature to the desktop apps providing threat protection and taking your digital security to the next level, my friend.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, when we're talking about that next level, all you have to do to get there is enable it on your NordVPN app. And here's what it does it protect, protects you from malicious websites, malware, trackers, maybe even truckers, and intrusive ads if you are not connected to a VPN server. So, look, will it. Keep your
0: disgusting search history uh, away from your relatives? It'll make sure that I have the most up to date version of the app. Uh, I, I set my settings to make sure I do. And then when I do, all I have to do to turn it on, BC, super simple. I go to the shield icon and then I switch on the threat protection button. Dunzo, That's it. Okay. Well, here's what I want our listeners to do if they
1: want that same protection grab your exclusive NordVPN deal right now by going to Nord, that's N O R D, VPN.com slash combat. Or use the code combat with a K to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus the free threat protection, plus one additional month for free. Right? If it's completely risk-free as well with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.
0: Uh, and along with amazing cybersecurity benefits, and getting the ability to access streaming services in other countries with no extra cost. Which, by the way, BC is you can imagine very important for me. NordVPN now comes with a free anti-malware feature, which protects your devices from malware, malicious ads, and phishing sites.
1: There you go. Look, you didn't act like you read that off of a script at
0: all. I got to really give you a lot of credit. Well, they didn't say that. They didn't say don't read like you're uh, reading off of a script. They just said read verbatim. So I did do oh, that. Oh, okay, okay, great, great. Hopefully,
1: nobody fast-forward. Well, if you did, here's the start of the show right here could not be a more loaded weekend could not be a more showtime heavy loaded weekend shout out to our our brethren there but Luke let's start off off the top here UFC fight night why because this main event is is as good as any fight we're going to see this weekend and it's former light heavyweight champion Jan Blachowicz in his first return to the octagon since losing his title to the Ageless Wonder Glover Teixeira but Luke it it ain't a soft underbelly matchup here to get well with It's Alexander Frickin Rakic, who is a minus one ninety five betting favorite to the plus one sixty five Jan Blachowicz. Luke, straight up for this UFC main event from the Apex this Saturday. Do you agree with the betting odds?
0: I think I do, and as you indicated, I'll read them one more time. Well, we have our our friends at Caesars, I believe, one plus one sixty five for the former champion Blachowicz, minus one ninety five. For Rakic, I've been thinking about this fight a lot, and I read Richard Mann's analysis out of Fight Metric as well. And in looking at this, I would favor Rakic, younger, appears to be in excellent condition, and has shown an ability, although it cost him a little bit against Uzdemir, where his offense can be a little bit limited, but his wrestling can be uh, something he can lean on, right, as a reliable way to win rounds and then and do that in succession to to win fights like i can rely on my wrestling for large portions of fights against better guys i will say though that like what the data shows on rakic is that against lesser opposition where he really offensively opens up he's quite a dynamic force i mean i think that's that is pretty clearly, you know, the the tape shows you that, and the data really supports it. But the data also shows BC, and this is what's kind of interesting, against a better opposition, he still does quite well. Again, the Uzdemir fight notwithstanding, but in general his record's quite good. But his offense falls off a cliff. Um, For example, his positive striking differential gets cut by 50% when you go to sort of the upper end of that division. So the question here is, one, Can he wrestle a guy like Blachowicz, who had some problems, by the way, against Glover Teixeira with this? Although Glover Teixeira had the threat of the striking in a certain way, too. But the point I want to make is, you know, is that going to be a thing? And then if he does get it down, to what extent is he even going to open up with ground and pound, which could make the fight difficult later? So really, this is a question of not Rackage's baseline ability. Can he get the takedown? He probably can. He could probably get it pretty consistently. But the question is, what can he do with it? And more broadly... Can he show a level of offense that has been somewhat more reserved against the elite here in this former champion case in a main event to really kind of audition potentially for a title shot? I guess we think is going to get it, but Rakic cannot be far behind. No, no, he can't. I mean, look, this run that you mentioned with just that split decision loss
1: to Ozdemir since entering the UFC, it's been flawless. The question that we laid out in Wednesday's storylines is, has it been exciting enough to deserve the type of rewards you get from beating the type of names he has. Now look, you can you can keep winning Born, you'll get there eventually to a title shot. Can Rakic cut the line with a win here? Now, both guys this week said they feel this is a number one contender's fight more or less without that tag being added to it. You don't have to look too much further up and down the rankings to see they may end up having a point here as we are just a few weeks out, of course, in June from Glover Teixeira defending against Yuri Prochocko, who's number two. But Jan Blachowicz comes in at rank number one, which is the UFC's preference typically when a champion loses or a top contender loses. They just give him that at number one status uh, for their next fight, but of course, you then have Rakic at number three, so I believe in the stakes, but do you believe in what Jan blahovic is saying this week, Luke? With respect to his opponent, he says, look, I've, I'm 10 years older, I've been in this game a long time, there's nothing Alexander Rakic is going to bring or show that I haven't seen before that I can't be prepared for. Again, he did say that with respect, so this isn't, you know, me trying to catch him in a in a buzz headline, but would you agree with that? Does it come down to the fact that Rakic can lull you to sleep with his fundamentals and almost simple game, but you also have to stop
0: it. I mean, I get what he is saying and I generally agree. What is Rakic going to show in terms of skills? that he hasn't seen before. It's hard to really pinpoint that to be quite candid. I mean, you could say maybe he's got a certain unique combination of things from other opponents in, a, in his own way, and in that sense he hasn't seen that particular combination before. But I, I, w- I would say Blachowicz in that sense is correct. But BC, wouldn't you really agree that that's sort of beside the point? It's like, oh, I've seen this before. Yeah, and then the last time you saw it, it worked on you. You know, like, whether or not you have experience with it is not really the question. I mean, it's valuable, it's important, and it should be asked. The question is, when you did see it before, how successful against it was it? And I got to say, Rakic's offensive wrestling—again, and again, that's going to have to be set up with the strikes and everything else. But dude, I like it's probably going to work on some level. Enough to win, I don't know. Enough to take rounds, I don't know. Again, there are these bigger questions, but like, I just want to point out. While I, while I appreciate the former champ's uh, breadth of and, and, frankly, depth of experience on this, and I do take it seriously and I do think it matters, it matters significantly less than what his historical record is against some of these things. And he, in his last fight, Glover Teixeira was able to show uh, an ability to take real and significant advantage of him on the ground. And I know he beat Corey Anderson in the rematch, but look what Corey Anderson did to him the first time. Granted, it's a different Blahovich. I'm not saying it's the same guy. But... Well, I think that he has really minimized some of his weaknesses by virtue of some of these experiences that he's had, B.C. He has not eliminated them. He has not eliminated them. They are not gone. These are not relics of a former self. They're 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 quite present, especially against someone as talented and as athletic and as ready to go um, and in his prime as Alexander Rakic. I think that's the way I would thread that needle.
1: Luke, I'm going to make a case to you that, unfortunately, this fight's going to blow. They both... <laughs> can have technical, cautious styles. While Blachovic yes. can be exciting when you cross that line and make him be, he also, watch the Jacare Silva five-round fight, can be very systematic and careful when the action isn't necessarily pressed on the striking end. Rakic, that's his. the one critique we have against him, is with the lead, he can be too slow and technical. This is scheduled for five rounds. Rakic has never fought a fight scheduled for five rounds. Two fights ago, he did fight Anthony Smith in a main event, but that was a three-round one given the circumstances. If this guy's coming in here looking to spread his cardio out a bit, and if Jan comes in here with the attitude of, okay, you're going to have to come to me to make this fight, they could be waiting around for a while, Luke, with no one coming.
0: I don't think your concern is at all misplaced, dude. There's a lot of ways that Rakic... Maybe leg kicks or, you know, pumps a jab or something in Blahovic's face and then gets the hell out of the way and just kind of pot shots his way. I tend to think, though, BC, that the pot shotting battle would favor Blahovic over time. Remember what he did to Izzy? He was really good about not biting on. He did bite on certain fates, but not enough to really cost him. He did check some of the leg kicks, which was, I think, really set Izzy back a little bit and forced him into different ranges. So what I think is that. Um, eventually, I, I do believe Rackish is going to be tempted by the takedown, but that could, you know, be not very fruitful. It could take a while against the fence, or what you saw, and in, in they're showing the the pictures here, or what you could get is the Smith fight all over again. BC, where he gets the takedown, but then can't do really any ground and pound with it hardly at all. That's that's actually a real scenario. His ground and pound numbers um, they're respectable, but again, against better opposition, I think you know they're just not what they are in other cases. So I'm with you. I'm less concerned it will be just two guys circling. Because if there's just two guys circling, that means that Rakic couldn't get the takedown. And I think Blahovic will actually pot shot him a little bit better. Wouldn't be a great fight, but wouldn't be a disaster. Could be also, you're going to get a scenario where Rakic gets the takedown, but then just really is in these positional control battles that don't result in any ground and pound of any kind of meaningful sense. And we're back to where we were with Esparza and... Rose, not much offense, and you're trying to decide what's what.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, I'm hoping for the best. No no shortage of stakes. Uh, if somebody lands big, it could open up the offense. So, Luke, uh, you know, let's put the boring chess match that was Rose Namaginas versus Carlos Esparza aside and not, not, not throw that funk on this one. If things start to heat up and it stays on the feed, who has the advantage here?
0: Blahovic, probably. I mean, the funny part is is I, I, I like what Rakic does on the feet, and I actually find him to be significantly faster, more explosive. Obviously, you know, Jan Blahovic has the legendary Polish power, so I'd give him that edge. But you know, Rakic has shown a real capacity for um what do, what do I want to say? Not fast paced kickboxing, but but he's got he can cover distance with big powerful strikes. In short order. I mean, I think that's really been a hallmark of his game when he's let his hands and feet go. I'm just not a believer he's going to do that because you don't want to walk into a trap that Belhovic is setting. He's a he's an effective counter striker. In fact, he invites it. And so I think what he's going to do is to try to invite that, and instead Rakic is going to make it a takedown fight. I I'm gonna I I'm gonna lead towards Rakic on this one a little bit, BC. I, I I'm not saying that like oh one loss to Glover to share foretells the end of his career I mean I'm not suggesting that but I just feel like given the vulnerability given how dangerous he is on the feet given how much I think Rakic is going to respect that and not that in any way Blahovic has terrible takedown defense I don't think that's true either but I don't know if it's sturdy enough at least to withstand the onslaught that I think Rakic is going to to offer him I like Rakic to win a relatively ho-hum one here tomorrow night well I think the hope here I mean, it
1: doesn't matter who wins in the end, but the hope here is that it's exciting. And if it is Rakic that wins, Luke, you know, it's similar to the the Canelo-Beeval fight in a way, where where for me to pick Bivol to win, I had to bank on the idea that he can be the type of offensive fighter that he typically isn't, but maybe can be in the moment. Now, obviously, if you're a technical counter-striker, you can look offensively amazing when someone's coming at you and making you do that. But short of that, I'm wondering if Rakic just... You know, he's had some fights where he's been a little bit safe, but he's got the win. He's got to this point. Again, it kind of mirrors when Jan pulled out that stinker against uh, Jacare Souza just to survive in advance. But when given the moment, granted against a different style in Dom Reyes, boy, did Blahovic rise to the occasion. How much would you be surprised if this was the fight where Alexander Rakic rises to that occasion? Where we see, you know, intention, combinations, a pace where he not only can get a big, the biggest win of his career here, which could arguably put him next in line for a title shot, but where we may come out of this weekend going, okay, I love me some Glover versus Yuri. Can't wait to see who's the champion. But we may have the new champion right here. How shocked would you be if this was a, 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 a reversal of, of personality here and we see Rackich become the killer that sometimes he shows he has the potential to be? A
0: couple things to keep in mind. the The due to late changes in uh, some of how his fights have gone, he actually hasn't been in a five-round contest yet. Or at least, uh, I don't think his fight... None of his fights have gone to the fifth round. The Smith fight, remember, I think that was put together sort of semi-last semi minute or moved last minute, and they ended up making a three-round contest. Luke, are you um, going to
1: forget that I said that about two and a half minutes ago, or no? The whole, I am that-
0: going to forget that you said that. Well, I'm just sort of okay. pointing it out. Okay, to answer the question in this particular way... Um, what does that do to his game planning late? Like, does he just is it more of the same, or is there a noticeable change as we move into that phase of the game? But BC, you're asking, the question was, how surprised would I be if it was a little bit more uh, dynamic and then Rakic really was, you know, really opening up on the feet? Okay, so I've made the argument that the style itself doesn't necessarily give me confidence about that, the style of matchups. But what I would say is, this is supposed to be the time, I think, in Rakic's development where that kind of thing should be presenting itself. And maybe not this fight against this opponent. Again, it's not it's not like, okay, now's the moment, now or never. We can clearly say this is the dividing line. It's hard to know that exactly, but I just do mean, BC, if you look at the since losing to Uzdemir in 2019 and beating Smith and beating Santos now taking on Blahovich, you've gone to people who contended for the title. So now someone who held it. This is the moment, and he's not holding it anymore, obviously. But this is the moment to begin to show what you're made of. Yes, and of course, getting the W is the most important. And I think even if he doesn't rise to some offensive dynamism, he will probably still get the win. But I would say for all of the style considerations that are worth, I think, taking seriously, it is also true that if Rakic is to like really get the, get the best out of himself and become the most that he can be... Um, this is that stage of development where you can handle more difficult pressures and still maintain greater offensive dynamism. Are we just going to retreat to what we were because it's more defensively sound? Because the offense isn't really there. You, you you create risks by opening up. Like solving for that as you develop is the is the critical consideration here. So what I would say is I don't think it's the likeliest possibility, BC, but it shouldn't be all that surprising because I'm kind of waiting for him to make yeah. that turn anyway. Well, you have to wonder, Luke, if he can establish the threat of the takedown earlier, early in this
1: fight, which is something you mentioned earlier, maybe that brings down Jan's guard, high guard. Maybe that turns into Jan looking to press a little bit more as we enter the second half of this fight, which could open up those same opportunities for Rockets. But either way, uh, Alexander is going to have to step up and be the great in this moment. And Luke, I agree with you. I think he will. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be technical. I think it'll be slow at times. But when it heats up, I think that's where Rockets is going to separate himself. Luke, do you think he should flip the gimmick a little and change his nickname to Rocket and come out by that same song by Def Leppard, so the crowd can yell, Rocket, Rocket, yeah, I love Rocket, Rocket. No, that's a, it's a tribute to the um, one-armed drummer. It was. Uh,
0: I thought it was just you jacking off.
1: <laughs> no, no. Okay. Sorry, Luke. Sorry about that whole scenario. We'll just take that back. Maybe <laughs> maybe delete the intro to the show as well. But uh, that's your main event, Luke. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to see how that title fight plays out as well with Glover and Yuri Prochatska just, what, a few weeks away. Fun times for a light heavyweight division that still feels in transition post-John Jones. Luke, do you f- have any type of feeling that we will get, you know, not a champion with the length of a Jones or GSP or, or Anderson Silva, but that we can get a face to this division because it's certainly something we don't have now in the fallout of John Jones. And to be fair, we didn't have before John Jones won the title. We had a bunch of Hall of Famers trading the title. Are you looking to see us maybe end this calendar year with the guy who could be the champ for a couple of years?
0: I don't know what people want. Like, John Jones is in the, in the division, and everyone's like, oh, it's kind of boring that he's here because he's just better on everyone, and then he's still winning the fights, but the last stage of his fights. The Reyes fight wasn't so bad, but he had a bunch of stinkers in the middle there. That were like, After the Gustafson rematch, they were just like, or whatever. Uh, so then he leaves, and everyone's like, oh, now we miss Jones because there's too much parody. I'm like, what the fuck do y'all want, man? Listen. I, I like both scenarios. I like certain cases where divisions are dominated by a preeminent figure and he lords over them and there's, that's kind of fun for whatever reasons that, that that situation may be. I'm loving the parody at light heavyweight, to be honest with you. Glover is the champ as it stands. We'll see what happens at UFC 275. But, you know, can Rakic become the face? A- anyone, BC, could... Any, listen... From Smith on up, Smith, Ankaliev, Rakic, Prohodzka, Bl- Blahovich, or Glover. Some of those you would say are more likely to become the face of the division than other ones, but no- none of those guys to me are out of it. Ankaliev is a strong candidate. Rakic is a strong candidate. Any of those guys could potentially take over and really put their stamp on this division. But to be honest with you, BC, I don't really think it's going to be like that. I think these guys are all going to take turns at the top, or a few of them anyway, are going to take turns at the top. They're going to pass it around. This fight is going to tell us who might and probably will be next, especially if it's Rackage. I think they're going to give it to him. So, no, I don't think that there's – is it possible that one guy could be just way better than the rest? Yes, but the evidence tells us that there's actually – that doesn't exist right now. There's just too much parody yeah. at the top. And I love it. Paying the title around. I like seeing guys win. It's cool. I like the way you just threw out casually,
1: better than the rest, right? Green to Red machine ahead. Uh, Luke, if the light heavyweight division was a mirror of the uh, MMA journalism picture at the moment, then maybe, you know, John Jones and Ariel Hawani would be alike. Ariel's now moving on to other things like women's boxing and, and Peloton interviews and stuff like that. That must make me Yuri Prochaska. Right?
0: And your old-ass Glover Teixeira, right? I think it, I think it makes you more like post-TRT Vitor. I, you know, I'll also take that. I'll also take that. Okay, all right. Good, thank good, you. You. good for three minutes, and then everything falls <laughs> off the cliff after that.
1: Well, in other areas of my life, Luke, I can only hope for that type of longevity. Believe me on that one, Luke. This card—it's um, not going to blow you away. There are a couple other things worth worth mentioning. Uh, how much opportunity do you see in this co-main event offering within the same division, Luke? As we see Ryan Spann, who you know stepped up to the main event level, took a setback against. Ion or Jan or, or Eon or, uh, you know, Luke, I don't really know. I'm going to be honest with you. To me, it's Ion Kute You can tell me where I messed up. But do you like this Just fight at all, Peter? A Jan. Col-
0: call him Peter uh, Yon. Call, call him Ion Adesanya.
1: Yes, I am Adesanya Laba. Uh, do you like this fight at all, Luke? I mean, there is potential for fun here, but do you even like this fight?
0: I like this fight. I mean, listen, listen to their average fight times. Ryan Span, five minutes and 17 seconds. That's through 26—well, not 26 fights. That's through all his UFC fights. But that's through a lot of them. And then uh, Kute Laba, his average fight time is 8 minutes and 23 seconds. These dudes probably are not going to make it out of the second round by average estimations on this. And so what's really not to like? Now, there are a ton of stakes for Ryan Spann. He's in the top 15. I don't think Kute Laba is. But, you know, Kute Laba's a fucking wild man, bro. And he's yes. also now with Extreme Couture training with Eric Nixick. So I think they're trying to tighten up some things with him as well and make him a little bit better. Yeah, this should be a dude should be a really fun fight. Laba lands nearly five strikes per minute. Super fucking high. Yeah, I mean, he's I fun it. as
1: balls, Luke. You know, uh, with the weigh-in gimmicks that he does, with his fighting style, he seems like he'll fight anybody in a hotel lobby if given the chance, Luke. Uh, just two and three with one no contest. Laba in his last six, but did look like he was turning in a better direction last time out when he got the win. Uh, it should be interesting here. Ryan Spann's got some... Got some explaining to do to be fair, right? You know, he's lost two of three, but there was that moment there that he was pushed to the main event level. Is he going to be the, be a guy? Uh, he came up empty. A lot to win back in that moment. Uh, Luke, mm-hmm. when you look up and down beyond the co-main and the main, um, you know, of course what's jumping out to me is that fight that we were puzzled by. The women's flyweight matchup of a re-signed Caitlin Chukajian against an Amanda Hebos who has moved up from 115, but I still even after researching, Luke, haven't gotten the idea that it's permanent and may just be an opportunity. Uh, is that the fight that you've got circled in the most on the rest of the card what else you got for me
0: no uh well there's some good ones uh everywhere but the one that's going to stand out to me probably the most is going to be virna Janjiroba taking on angela hill i think it's a hugely important fight angela hill this is going to be her 20th ufc fight can you believe that 20th and she's only been in the organization since 2014 only fought once that year although granted in december so you get the idea. And listen, she's she's lost one, two, three. She's lost four of her last five, but here's the thing. The Gedalia one was super close. The Michelle Watterson one was super close. Then she beats Ashley Yoder. The Tisha Torres one, I thought Torres won. I didn't think that was super close. And then the Lamos one, another split decision. She keeps coming up on just the wrong end of these split decision ones. And dude, Genji Roba is a fucking hammer. She's very good in this division. Her last five, she is also coming off of some losses to Amanda Hebos and Mackenzie Dern, but she had some wins over Herrig and Murata. Like, dude, this is a kind of an important fight for Angela Hill—not really to get right with the win streak, but to kind of show like what level of opponent you can graduate past. Agreed. Um, And you know, just just coming up on those split decisions all the time tells you she's in it. But she can't quite put her stamp on it. She has to go in there and put her stamp on one of these people, and this would be a phenomenal opponent to do it, but of course, much easier said than done. Yeah, Janjiroba looks like she's
1: figured out how to consistently beat this level of competition. But it's time to rise and do that at a higher one. Angela Hill, a good test for that. Verna, a minus 170 favorite. Hill plus 150. Also in that women's flyweight bout I mentioned, minus 180 is to K G N as your favorite. 155 plus he boss. Uh, You know, Luke, you're gonna get K G B Lee back. I don't know if you care about that. We talked about Michael Johnson's return. Yeah, Luke, this fight card sucks. Thank you.
0: <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's not great. Um, it's really not great at all. There's a couple of the ones. Davy Grant versus Lewis Smoka will be fun. It will be fun. Yeah. Um, there it is. And by the way, I, I've, I've been mentioning him before, but Tetsuo, excuse me, Tetsuro Tyra, taking on uh, Carlos Candelario, um, Tyra is worth paying attention to as a potential prospect. I mean, this is his UFC debut, so you know, have very much managed expectations, but kind of someone to keep your eye on.
1: Indeed, Luke. Okay. Uh, you, yes. You've got, mm, mm, yes, you've got me intimately invested in a Tyra for the first time since uh, Banks was on the cover of that SI
0: swimsuit issue, Luke. So that was uh, that was in high uh, school. I never wanted to be a grain of sand more in my life.
1: Agreed. Uh, agreed. Indeed. All right, Luke. Our second topic sends us to London, and again, it's going to go down four Eastern, unless somebody can prove me wrong. Today on Showtime, London, England. It's Bellator two eighty one, and boy. Do we have a great main event for you? The Interim Welterweight Championship on the line. We talk storylines Wednesday, and of course, the champion, Yaroslav Amosov, who has that very close win over Logan Storley, had to pull out of this one. He's going to fight the winner, but we've got an MVP homecoming. As I said on Wednesday against Logan Storley, where at its face value. What one guy does great, MVP's dynamic striking, is the kryptonite In some ways for the other guy in Logan Storley, although he did show improved striking, of course, and a backbone against Neiman Gracie, but this ain't Neiman Gracie. And then obviously Logan Storley's wrestling game. Look, that's the hole in Michael Venom Page's game if you can get him down and if you can lay on him and if you can make it work. Very few have for long sustained stretches. So Luke, the only thing I'm really surprised about here entering this fight, which I'm really straight up being honest, Great matchup. Going to tell us so much about both. No shortage of stakes. But the odds makers. Logan Storley minus 280. Michael Page plus 225. So, Luke, it's a five-round bout. Okay? Storley's shown us in the past he's got a gas tank. He's tough. He's all that stuff. I already told you he has the style that, if anything, can neutralize MVP. But, dude, MVP is a – I mean – Suckers don't play him, Luke. And if they do, they end up looking at the lights, bro, and including some celebrity suckers along that way. I don't get these odds at all. Set me straight, Luke.
0: Well, so there's a couple of things happening here, but the big one to me is what's happened is that people are not up to date on what the most modern, fair criticism of MVP should be. So there was a while there where it was like he wasn't fighting Owen, he was can crushing and I certainly wouldn't stand in the way of that argument. There was a lot of times where he was just fighting guys, and you were like, they're just setting him up to look good in his home market, which, by the way, I don't, ha- I don't, take, I don't take issue with either. I think UFC should do more of that, to be honest with you. But neither here nor there. So he does that, and then he gets to a, a pretty advanced record, 20-1, and one, and the argument is still, well, he hasn't beaten anyone. But, of course, we know that he has. And, of course, in his last contest, he beat um, he beat Lima. And now Lima is not Logan Storley, so the... So what I want to point out is that the style contrast and the reasons for enthusiasm for Storley are real, but this is the point. I actually think that Michael Page got better in that time, and there isn't enough acknowledgement of that. When I say better, I mean not just better about um, you know making his offense work, which he always did, but he kind of lorded over overmatched opposition. Now his defense is a lot better. His takedown defense is a lot better. His space His spacing, his awareness of distance is a lot better. His takedown along the fence line has actually gotten pretty good. All things considered, like this idea that he can just be taken down for five rounds and, you know, that once he gets down, there's no hope. Listen, Logan Storley probably should be favored to do a wrestling-heavy game plan and win, but I don't agree with the odds as far apart as they are, BC, because I don't think they account for, at this point, through 21 professional contests... Michael Page is better than what the, than the skepticism and the criticism of him that was relevant five years ago accounts for. I think well, that, that would I'll be an argument.
1: I'll give it fair play that it's hard to put odds on a guy like MVP because we know he could, you know, in theory, he could finish anyone at any time with something that they just don't see coming. He's also 35, so it's like now or never. You right. also go up and down that Wikipedia page, Luke, and it's like, you know, yeah, he won the Paul Daly fight, but... That was one of the worst fights in MMA history in terms of output and offense. Got the split decision win last time against Lima. But Lima was, you know, wrestling and and, and did moments to, to stay in that fight. But look, that's a great win. But when you go beyond that, then you're like, okay, Derek Anderson, damn, he dominated him. And that's a credible Wal- Walter Wade contender for Bellator. But after that, Luke, yeah, it does go to can-crusher territory. So it is a much smaller sample in, in theory and Storley's style of wrestling is is can be a safe betting proposition, especially considering he just went five rounds for the first time against Gracie, and like I said, showed us that he's not gonna gas out, that he's not gonna, you know, fall apart, that he bit down and got through it. But Luke Thomas, the difference between these two, while in wrestling, it's it's large, right? Striking, I also think it's really large. I do. I think Logan Strode has improved his striking and confidence to a level where he could beat a guy like Neiman Gracie to a level where where he could compete against the champ Yaroslav Amasov, but still lose a, a close thriller. But does he have the striking? If Plan A doesn't go his way, if MVP can either stuff a takedown, which probably isn't that likely, but more more likely for MVP is you you gotta you gotta strike. You've got to put the fear in that that knee is there if he shoots. If this has to be on the feet for long stretches, Luke, I don't think Logan Storley's on this level. That's why, to me, given all those uncertainties, I think it's a pick 'em fight. I get that odds have to go in a certain way to induce betting, but am I being a little bit too harsh here? That although it's, you know, it's nice what he did against Stephen Gracie, that's also not an elite striker that he was up against.
0: No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, a, d- a very different kind of striker, too. Um, but no, I agree with you. if this if he can't really get the takedown or for whatever reason, long stretches of the fight are taking place on the feet, unless MVP is truly cowed into not really opening up by virtue of creating any opening, uh, and for, you know, and he's like he's so worried about the takedown, he doesn't want to do anything, which is also by the way, in play. We've seen a little bit of that from him earlier in his career, I think less, less so of late. But that but yes, like can I, do I do I think that Logan Storley can win 5 rounds on the feet? I absolutely do not believe that. He has to, the 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 takedown has to be a centerpiece of his game, not merely the takedown itself, but the threat of it, the time it affords not standing, the opportunity to throw ground and pound from that position. He needs to cut MVP open. He needs to really just absolutely brutalize him, take it to him. Just trying to wrestle his way to positional control battles by itself it might win him the first second or third round but if this one continues mvp will h- hammer him late so yes dude I, I very much share your assessment it's not it's not um the only way he has to win was the only punishment he can dish out on the ground but that is the bulk and the most important offense he'll have that's got to be there it's got to be there otherwise he can't win and look even though mvp did lose the first lima fight. He was a threat and a danger there, and
1: every time we have seen him step up against the best, you can see just how far ahead he is in the striking game and why they have to take such care. I think the best case scenario here, Luke, is if this fight goes in the championship rounds and both establish themselves, both have rounds in which they are controlling the terms, and and, and we can enter a position where, okay, you know, whoever finishes strong could win this uh, on this on the cards if we go there. But Luke, in the end, I don't think we go there. I think that MVP is going to get taken down. He's going to have some compromising situations. But when this fight goes deep, I think he's just so dangerous at all times. Whether this fight goes deep because it was boring or not, I think MVP is going to be in a position at any point to land that strike. And even though I love the intention of Storley, the toughness, that South Dakota, I used to clean up on Friday nights in the parking lot of a car show type vibe, all that's there. You can still get caught with some shit in round four on a flying knee from MVP, Luke, and I think that's what happens. I think he finishes Storley. This is the moment in his career at 35. It's been stretched out. We've been waiting a while for this moment. I think he gets it, and we start pounding them drums for the undisputed championship out against Amasov, the full champ, the unbeaten one, whenever he's available after this conflict.
0: I'm going to go the opposite way. I think Storley gets into trouble, but gets it done one way or the other. And we look at the rematch between Amasov and Storley. Amasov Storley 2. And I've said it before, if you've not seen the first one, it's one of the best fights. Of, <sighs> pardon me. One of the best fights that Bellator's ever put on. Certainly in that welterweight division. That says a lot given who's been in there. Can't wait to see it.
1: All right. All right. Uh, quick, as we transition here to the rest of this card, I want to shout out one of our great listeners from Houston, Texas, Nick, N.I.K., looking at you. Luke, he, he, he live DM me, said, my mom's a huge Def Leopard fan. So shout out to, the, to Nick and his family. Yeah, that's the Houston. demo.
0: You fucking, I'm talking to you right now, BC. That, that's the demo, you old piece of garbage. That's who you, someone, one of our listeners' moms, motherfucker. Yeah, I'm I'm here for
1: the moms too, Luke. Okay, all right, I'm at that age. Okay, Ra <laughs> rah like a dungeon cougar. All right, Luke. Uh, this co-main event is uh, former UFC champion, but now not retired, Leota Machida, who Luke uh, in this twilight of his career with Bellator has, you know, I mean, he shows flashes of being the same guy, but you know, it's it's a it's a stop and chop Diet Coke version. To, but to his credit, he's still capable and he's in there against Fabian Edwards, who's a minus 160 betting favorite against the plus 140 Machida. Luke, you would think uh, in the history of combat sports, we feed our old to our young. This is an opportunity for Fabian Edwards to make a statement against a name. Do you see him as the type of guy who makes these type of statements?
0: Um, Not to this point. I mean, he d- he'd lost to Austin Vanderford, and I realize Vanderford has so- sort of sullied his name with the lack of a performance he had against Musasi, but he can wrestle when he like he is good. So that that's not the end of the world, but you look at like Edwards's wins, there aren't any wins over any noteworthy opposition to your point. Machida is, you know, he's coming up on the MK version of himself, like he's he I'm not saying he's washed, but he is definitely very much post-prime. So like that makes it competitive, but like is there a ton of reason to believe that Edwards can just waltz in there and establish himself as you know, clearly and demonstrably, demonstrably uh, better. It's possible, but he would have to show something to this point that he hasn't yet. I think that's the way I would couch it.
1: You know what I would like to do to add a little spice onto these fights? Like Fabian Edwards, the assassin, right? Nine and two, 29 years old, that has established himself to to a certain degree as a name, fought Austin Vanderford, as you mentioned, although he's coming off a two-fight losing skid no wikipedia page luke you know you got to go deep down the food chain and go you know sure dog or Tapology to find a a morsel of information on the ready when you're co-hosting a live podcast just to remind yourself who this guy just fought shouldn't we just in fights like this just go okay if fabian edwards wins we contact uh, uh, wikipedia we get we get a a lonely fan out there to cook him up a nice uh, quick bio we'll put bc as the bang bus driver like they did to you luke on your wikipedia page i mean what, what is the... I've seen fighters with far less acclaim or a name have a Wikipedia page, Luke. Dude, why why do I care about such meaningless shit?
0: I don't know. Because I, I got to tell you, I don't. You know, yeah, I don't. It's, it's definitely the
1: difference between, you know, me and... People who, uh, you know, enjoyed a much more aggressive social life in their prime. You know what I mean? I mean, I was close. I was, on, you know, I was on the I know. bench. I, right? I like how
0: you're like, oh, we'll get a lonely person to w- write this Wikipedia entry. Why well, they got to be lonely, B.C.? Maybe yeah. they have friends and they just like Wikipedia.
1: Uh, Luke, yeah, Denise Kielholtz, Kana Watanabe. Is a good fight here for Kana placement. Kana Watanabe?
0: Jesus, could you say that with less acclaim? My lord. I,
1: Luke, I did, it's not like I did something ridiculous. You know what I mean? Come on. Uh, plus 215 Watanabe, your underdog, who, yes, wants to remove that taste in our mouth we had of Liz Carmouche running through her on her way to capturing that women's flyweight. Flyweight, yeah, 125 championship. Uh, Luke mm-hmm. Kielholtz is the minus 265 favorite here. Can Watanabe fill that hole? That her striking defense upstairs is not there.
0: That Karmouche exposed. You're, you're, you're the worst person in America. I want you to know that you're the worst person.
1: No, I, dude, that was uh, completely unintentional. Completely, is that why uh,
0: you stopped after saying the word "hole"? Is that why? No, totally no. That,
1: that look, I'll I say a lot. I I make a lot of shit. I, I'm I was made for dead wrong, Luke. Okay, I was made for canceling. But uh, no, I did not
0: plan that one. But that's just how I would just say. I would just say this. Watanabe is sufficiently offensive and can and can be a, a sort of a forward pushing force, but dude, Kielholz is more athletic, better striker, um, has great judo, so you know, great takedowns can mix it up in the clinch. I don't like Kielholz would really have to have a bad game plan to me or be injured or something to lose this contest she should absolutely take it to Watanabe in this fight. And maybe it takes her like a little bit to get going. It doesn't happen right away. But I, I, I honestly, I would be surprised. A, not if this one goes the distance. I'll take that back. I would be very surprised. I don't know what the odds are, but I'd be surprised if Kiel Holtz loses this one.
1: All right, there you go. Uh, Paul Daly, as we mentioned, also back for, I think, his last fight. is. I, I don't know where he's at with
0: this. But he's I, a- this dude's had like 10 last fights. This is allegedly his last one, but we'll see.
1: Minus 335, the betting favorite, is daily against the replacement, Wendell Giacomo, at plus 260,
0: okay? By the way, Daniel Weischel versus Robert Whiteford on the card. Uh, Whiteford, I think UFC vet. Yeah, Vichel. Vichel
1: at thirty-seven, still hammering Luke. All right,
0: still, still good. Oliver Endcamp, uh, also I think a UFC vet on this card as well, taking on Mark Leminger. So there is some other fights uh, up and down this card that are sort of worth taking seriously.
1: Yes, Conor McGregor, buddy Charlie Ward, as we mentioned, uh, also there, Luke. Uh, let's go over to topic three, and wow, do we have a big one in boxing this weekend? We mentioned it; it goes down Saturday night, triple header, Showtime, nine p.m. Eastern, from the world's most famous ring that creates giant action brawls. Some call it the Punch Bowl. Some call it the, uh, the War Grounds, the Den of Sin. Uh, you know, you can call it Diz- Dignity Health Sports Park if you want. To me, it's the damn StubHub Center, but who cares where they're fighting? Oh, in this case, you should, because when Jermel Charlo and Brian Castaño meet for a second time Saturday night... There's a lot of things telling us we could be in for great theater from the from the variety of action, not just their styles, not just how good the first fight was last July in San Antonio when we had a very disputed split draw in a fight that yeah kind of felt like Castanio had done enough. But Luke, we have one Jermel Charlo who brings three of the 154 pound world titles into this undisputed matchup against Castanio, who's got the fourth, of course. Uh, Luke, he says this week. I'm gonna knock this motherfucker out, more or less. I'm, I, I'm, you know, you're not gonna see that, Luke. The last time that Charlo felt he got wronged or what have you, I get that this is different because when he lost to Tony Harrison in 2018, he felt he got robbed. This time, some people felt Castanio got robbed, but here's Charlo. You know what he did to wrong to write that wrong? He knocked Harrison the hell out in the rematch one year later. Uh, is that? Getting you pretty excited to hear that if we see an offensive-minded Jermel Charlo, meaning not just a counter puncher, that, you know, we not only could see this thing blow up, but Castanio better watch out.
0: I think it's possible. I, I, I re-watched this fight, BC, in anticipation for today and to talk about this with you, and then I watched what some other folks had to say about it. So I really tried to think about this fight and, like, what could be different the next time. And I keep coming back to one central thought on this. There's no doubt in my mind that the more well-rounded, skillful boxer of the two is Charlo. I, don't think that's, I, don't, I just don't know how you could look at the, the tape and say that, that Castaño's got more skill. Um, individual particular tactics that he used were quite effective. That gave Charlo some trouble. But again, the well-rounded boxing ability edge would go to Charlo. And we've talked about the fact that he has more room to improve. But, dude, the one thing that keeps me like making that I know this fight is going to be close is when it's time for Castaño to work, there's not a doubt in my mind he puts on the helmet, grabs his lunch pail, and clocks in for his shift. Charlo takes time time off in a fight, does he not? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying it's the most consequential that he hasn't come back from it, Tony Harrison, and you know, in the rematch or whatever, but. Dude, he takes rounds off. Sometimes he takes rounds off, but he takes big moments of rounds off or long stretches anyway. I don't know if I really believe that Charlo can win, not because he's not better, BC. I do think he's better, but he has to have a sufficient work rate in both his footwork, staying off the rope line, uh, which he did not do a lot of times, and that's where Castano did very much his best work. And I I really wonder when he gets tired through round six or seven, is he still going to be moving on his feet enough to bring all of his many talents to life? If he does, no doubt in my mind that he wins. But I don't know if he does, BC, so that really makes it strange for me.
1: Well, look, there's no shortage of of motivation here for Charlo. Like I said, you know, he had that hiccup in the past against Tony Harrison, but let's also ask ourselves, why did he have that hiccup against Harrison? Harrison's a very good boxer, even though he can punch too, and he's a very good counter boxer, and Harrison kind of took away Jermell's jab in their first fight, lowered his output completely, and just pot-shotted him. The problem was we didn't see Charlo in that fight step on the gas. Now, even to be fair, Luke, in the rematch... We didn't see Charlo step on that gas until late. I thought Harrison was outboxing him for a while, and then, you know, Charlo lands the big one in round 11 to finish him. You're you're so right on on work rate. If his jab isn't a factor, offensively, not defensively, he can't win this fight. Because, yeah, Castanio, I think, overachieved by how easy he was able to get inside, but also, let's give Castanio a ton of credit, for a straight-ahead, aggressive, almost brawler. His defense is so on point. Head movement. High guard, the swivel, he just does not get lit up cleanly with big shots. So, Luke, he was able to get inside, as you mentioned, rounds two and three. He pins Charlo on the ropes. He lands big left hooks. I can't see that same Charlo again who's trying to do this Canelo thing from the outside and land that one perfect punch to end the fight. Because we've already seen it now in two Harrison fights and this first Castaño one that It's not going to be enough for every judge. Now, uh, you know, Charlo did come on at the end of this first Castaño fight and in the last four rounds really stepped up his pace and kind of went after Castaño. And there is, you know, a a subset of people going, look, those last three, four rounds of that first fight could, could be Jamel finally having figured out him out, but either way, Luke, he figured him out too late. We cannot see him giving away rounds early. And to me... He loves when he's in it with a guy who he perceives, when Charlo perceives his opponent is not as quick or technical as him, I think he falls into this almost like, oh, oh, shit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end him with one perfect one. So it's like, Luke, when you're playing video games against somebody you know you're a lot better than, you're just screwing around trying to do half-court alley-oops and stuff. And I think he maybe came in with that mindset and then got surprised, figured Castanio out late, made it close, but not enough. Dude, he's got to come out – most importantly, with that jab as a weapon, because you need to stop Castaño from getting inside. That's where he is very hard to keep down because he's more technical than he looks. His defense is better than he looks. And he has a friggin' motor. But even though he's a classed up brawler in some ways, and I don't, I, I hate even using that term because it, you know, I, I don't mean brawler as like caveman, but even though he's a classed up caveman, Luke. If this fight gets technical, man, he's not on that level. So you need to keep him away from the areas in which he can be technically raw, and that's on the inside. Castanio cannot have this same success if he's on the outside. So Luke, when I hear Charlo coming in saying, "Oh fuck, it, I'm gonna knock this guy out," I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna show y'all he has no shortage of motivation. He got a mulligan to get this rematch in many ways. And he has a chance to be the undisputed champion. If he loses, he's got nothing. So I think we're going to see a guy who comes in and, and he's going to have to take more chances. And, you know, Luke, I, I did interview Derek James, his trainer, a couple months ago that is still available, youtube.com slash morning combat. And I brought up, look, you know, we're always complaining that he's not throwing enough punches. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I feel like Charlo can't figure out, am I better as a boxer or am I as better as a puncher? And sometimes that's great. But sometimes it looks like Charlo's miscast. He doesn't know what he should be. Now, James says, look, this is what makes him great. You never know what's coming. What do you want him to go in there and just take punishment all the time? No, we're not asking him that all the time. But this is an undisputed championship bout. I think if Jamel comes in with that intention that says, look, I'm going to, I may have to get, it may get dirty in the first three, four, five rounds. But as long as I establish this foundation, that if he's going to get over that line, my jab, and of course my right hand, which he can do in the upper guard, right, he can do in a variety of ways to get people out of there. I, Luke, Charlo wants that big combustible moment and he likes to wait for it to come to him. He can create that moment, is really what I'm saying, off of his jab. And I think, although Castano, you have to respect him I think he's going to find out. Castaño is a bit more limited when he fights at mid or long range than when he is up in your grill. If Charlo can create that, that space between, yeah, dude, I think he will end up knocking Brian Castaño out.
0: I'm going to say two things. I agree with your jab take, but I, I really believe we should add something to it. I, 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 I imagine this. Imagine that very different fighters, very different fight styles, but imagine that Charlo had Erislandi Lara's evasive footwork. In, which means that Brian Castaño never really got a clear opportunity to batter Charlo along the ropes. Does Charlo, excuse me, does Castaño have a real chance to win that fight in your estimation? Do you think If
1: Charlo, and this is in play for his skill set if he wanted to, if he came in with a game plan that was 100% circled on, focused on circling away, jabbing to the body and stepping back, you know, could he win that way? I don't know, Luke, because he switches so often in his style and then often just sets up and shop as a counter puncher. I tend to have the same questions you do if he has the 12 round stamina to pull that off or if he doesn't deviate the script because there's situations where he should deviate that script and be that power puncher. So I think it's still a gamble if you
0: went with that strategy. Okay, but here's the point I want to make. It's a gamble in that sense. However, if you're denying Castaño opportunity against the ropes, it's very, very, very difficult for Castaño to win. If yes. he doesn't have those moments, pronounced moments along the ropes, he can't really outbox Charlo. It's just not really possible. And he can't really even do his biggest power punching. It only comes when the ropes assist Castaño in restricting the movement and then limiting what kind of offensive and defensive choices Charlo has. Plain as day. So I'm going to say that I agree with your jab take. I really want to emphasize the footwork take from Charlo. It's not like he always has to be on the back foot. But if he is going to be on the back foot, he needs to be really on the move with it. And the last thing I'm going to say, BC, is, and we should really talk about this a little bit more, it's not like Charlo didn't go to the body in the first fight. But Castaño's defense, while sturdy and surprisingly good it is still a function of a high guard leaving a lot of rib exposed and and liver and organs exposed. And I'm going to say this. Dude, Like Charlo did not take enough advantage of that in the first fight. It wasn't like he ignored it. It wasn't like it wasn't a part of it. He went to it. But I think you really got to hammer Castaño with that. I think a lot of stuff bounced off of the gloves of Castaño that didn't count, that didn't hurt, that didn't mark him up. And I think a little bit more investment in the body work. So, you know, you have to go with the jab, high, low, all that kind of stuff. You have to mix it up. Uh, And I do believe you have to press Castaño backwards. But the real key for me there is a renewed emphasis on body work. I think if Charlo can be on his footwork, be on his body work, be on his jab, Castaño has no avenue to victory whatsoever.
1: In sort of reputation, Jermel's not not overly known as a as a body puncher. And to your point on the stats from the first fight, he only landed 17 body punches. Castaño landed 19, so it really wasn't a factor because it was in such close, and they're both kind of headhunters. But... Um... Charlo did knock out Jason Rosario with that perfectly placed body shot and he seemed to be targeting it. If that can become something where even if you even if Castanho breaks that distance and gets in close, if we can see Charlo add the wrinkle <laughs> of stepping to the side and hooking to the body or just some of the things that he doesn't typically do That certainly could be something to watch out for, but when we're looking at the punch stats from the first fight, they do tell kind of what our eyes saw. Uh, Castaño outlanded Charlo 173 to 151, according to CompuBox, which is close, but it's showing you what you need to see. Charlo did land 53 jabs, just nine landed for Castaño, but Charlo wasn't consistent with the jab, and he certainly didn't land for a good percentage at all. Overall, though, Castaño connected on 41% of his power shots. So if you give him that opportunity... Where, you know, I mean, in this fight, he barely landed any jabs. You know, 85% of Castaño's output were power punches, and he's going to connect on 41 of those? That shows you he's on the inside most of the night, and he's having success. Charlo's Mm got to create that, even if it takes biting down. And by the way, Luke, I think that Charlo is such an explosive puncher in the right moment That even if he's even in the battle of trying to draw that line between them in terms of space, he still might catch Castaño. I'm saying that if we have an intentional offensive Charlo here, a knockout can happen at any point. But the thing that you have to ask yourself if you don't believe in that version of Charlo or you don't believe that version's coming is... What if he doesn't get Castaño out of there? Can Castaño's constant pressure in the second half of this fight wear on the gas tank of Charlo if he tries to be as offensive as I'm saying he is? Luke, these are just other wrinkles you have to watch out for in this fight that really have me fired up. I mean, this could be—this fight is as good as a pay-per-view fight. You can argue whether it would have done big business or not, but it's— you know, in theory, it's a rematch of a disputed fight of the year contender for the undisputed championship. It's basically a pay-per-view fight. I love that it's on regular Showtime this weekend, and I can't tell our MMA fans enough that this is one of those fights you'll, you'll be entertained by. The passion, the talent of both, what's at stake. This is going to be a good one.
0: It's a, it's a full-on, as B.C. says, not just a unification. It's for all the marbles in the four-belt era. Correct me if I'm wrong, B.C., Whoever wins this will be the first fully unified, undisputed champion in this like junior middleweight, whatever you want to call this weight class, yes. since Winky Wright. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, he Winky Wright did it in the three-belt era, but yes, since Winky Wright uh, had all the belts at 154, this is the first time we're going to get a, a four-belt champion. And I want people to realize that even three years ago, right, when right after Terrence Crawford became the undisputed champion at 140, then Usyk did it at cruiserweight, and we were like, oh, my God, this never happens. We, it's been happening a lot since then. At least, you know, like, you have to realize as a fan, if you're new to boxing, like, we don't get undisputed four-belt title fights, you know, every day. In fact, typically we never do. This run, the last year and a half, two years, three years, has been great.
0: So I'm excited about it. I just really can't wait to see what adjustments. And Derek James is one hell of a trainer. You saw what he had Errol Indeed. Spence doing. So we'll see. They, they, they know what to do. That's the thing, right, BC? Jermell Charlo... And Derek James, they know what to do. The question is, will Charlo be actually able to do it? We're gonna find out tomorrow.
1: Well, here we go, Lucas. Time to put that, that that pencil on the paper. Uh, final uh, closing in on uh, the odds right now: minus two twenty, Jermell Charlo, your betting Ooh. favorite, plus one eighty, Castanio. Remember, that's it was a split draw really the close. first time around. But really, that's like a seven five <laughs> eight rounds to four fight for castaño that's what my eyes told me people have differed some people like charlo's second half a lot more uh luke where you leaning
0: hey have you ever used cheapo air for years and i really like it with
1: cheapo air you can book online use their app or even over the phone they've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations they're my go-to for travel planning and if you join their club miles program you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel Book on the app and you get double points
0: sounds like it's time i tried cheapo air
1: call cheapo air at 855-247-3279 or visit cheapo air.com slash podcast
0: i do have my doubts about both charlo brothers um for different reasons but for sometimes the same ones i sometimes wonder if they have enough humility not to me you to know, like them as people but to be aware of their own limitations um But, but, skills win fights, that's what I usually say, that's what I really always say, doesn't always happen that way, sometimes the less skillful person wins, but out of two, the more skillful one should win, and so for that reason, I'm going to pick Charlo, but it's a close one, dude, it's a really close one, where are you?
1: Yeah, I, I'm of the belief that that if we get the best version of Charlo, he's going to win this fight by knockout. And Castagna was really good, and he's better than I thought he was entering that first fight. That performance he had in that first fight, he deserved the win. He was fantastic. But if you're going to get a Charlo that's committing to using the arsenal that he actually has, there's a reason why when I talk about either Charlo brother, to be fair, ever one day fighting Canelo, and everybody's like, oh, come on, we see Canelo defeat everybody. Yeah, we do. Canelo will be a favorite. But this combination of speed, power, IQ, and nastiness. I mean, the Charlo brothers are nasty. They have that edge. It comes out when somebody's coming in and knocking on their door aggressively, You know, whether it's in an interview or in a fight. Sometimes we don't, to your point, Luke, we don't always get the performance, though. That's the full power of them. It's, it's time now for the brothers. They're in their early 30s. They, they had a pay-per-view in the pandemic where they were the, the headliners. It's time to have those fights against the Triple Gs, the Canellos, the who have you, you know, whoever, Terrence Crawford, whomever. He's got to be that guy. Luke, if he shows up and he is that guy, we're going to have a big knockout for Jamel Charlo in a, in a fight that that is going to be tough early as they jockey for position. But once Charlo digs in and, and we see that, that oh shit, he brought he brought his A game tonight,
0: That A-game will fuck you up, dude. All right? It will. He will do the work. The question is, does Jermell Charlo have enough? Does he really have another? He needs another gear from the first fight or a, 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 a different, renewed, invigorated approach. I can't I, it's a really close one dude it's a really close one I love this contest I cannot wait to see what I have a feel dude this, I gotta tell you I'm picking Charlo because that's where my head is at but my gut tells me Castagna is gonna win I'm not trying to like do the thing oh where I see I told you no no no. If, he, if Castagna wins I'm in the wrong but I am I am just trying to be honest and I know I usually play that a little bit like well you gotta respect the other guy's chances here I'm not even doing this like oh here's a nod to a prize fighter who has a puncher's chance no dude Castano has a very, 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 very real possibility of winning this one.
1: Luke, I would love to, to uh, hire you to work on my lawn and uh, hedge a bit for me uh, because that's what you've been on a string of doing lately.
0: But uh, I like to hedge, BC. Where's yes. my hedge fund? I want to be uh, rich. Luke,
1: we've talked about it. Get ready. This co-main event is worth your time on the Showtime card Saturday night because unbeaten Jerron Boots really looks to be the next thing in the welterweight division, possibly the sport, uh, he does virtuoso shit. And this could be that last stop as he enters a number one contender's bout to become the mandatory challenger for unified champion Errol Spence Jr. when he takes on Castillo Clayton. So Luke, um, we have big expectations to see, in in some ways, the show that Boots is going to put on when he stepped up against DeLorme, when he stepped up against yet I mean, he's just blowing these guys away. But... You know, Clayton's not as not a stiff. The betting odds will tell you you should bet big on Boots. In fact, Luke, I'm seeing him as high as a minus 1,600 favorite, Jesus. which doesn't fully tell the tale. You know, Custio Clayton has a plus 900 underdog. Like, some boxing can get real bloated just to try to make some money on the other side. So, Clayton is 34 from Canada. He's 19-0-1. You know, his biggest win is probably the draw that he had against Lippignettes, the former champion, back in 2020. He's beaten some names that either you heard of or you used to watch 10 years ago. But no, he hasn't beaten anyone on this level. But Luke, if you're looking merely to see Custio Clayton max out and make Boots Ennis go more rounds than normal into the 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, this might be that fight. Do you? Where are you sort of sitting in as? Like, buckle up, the Rockets going to take off, KO2? I mean, how are you feeling entering this one?
0: I don't know because I have not thought much about it other than Boots Ennis is probably going to win and he's going to win looking awesome. Um, I could see a scenario where Clayton finds a way to drag it late, but to be candid with you, I don't know if that's the most probable one. Certainly, you couldn't dismiss it, but I don't Dude, Boots Ennis just is remarkable. They talk about people being switch hitters in boxing who can fight Southpaw and and orthodox but like when they say can I mean listen to the words they're saying he look at the video fight in the opposite stance
1: dude look at that vi- highlight run- reel that's running right now over your words i mean are you kidding me
0: yeah he not only can boots like is he capable of doing it he is excellent at it from both stances he is highly unusual and mixes it up quite well and you, like when he goes to whatever stance he's picking for whatever reason you, there's, there's clear intentionality by it his timing is sick. His reads are impeccable. His power is commendable. Like, it's enough to get the job done. Dude, and he lands very, very efficiently on these people. Like, can Cuscio Clayton put up enough of a fight to make it a moral victory and do well enough to, like, ah, that was a pretty good job by him? Sure. I don't have any doubt that but- Boots Ennis is going to get his hand raised at the end of the night. I really don't.
1: Uh, Luke, uh, he's 24 years old, Boots Ennis. He's 28-0. I mentioned the two real notable step-up fights and he boy did he just slam dunk I mean it was it was incredible and I was ringside for the one against DeLorme in Las Vegas uh last winter and last fall excuse me and Luke I mean it's just when you get to see it that close I, I was lucky enough to be sitting on the ring apron um you just it, it's it's a I mentioned in the past it's a Roy Jones like reminder that there's some shit he pulls off, and Terrence Crawford can do this, obviously, in, in flashy moments as well, because he's great. Uh, where you're just like, man, I, I don't know if I've seen anyone do that move right there, you know what I mean? Or, or how he reacted with his timing and his foot placement and the creativity. There's something special here. Uh, it's hard for us to gauge how special until it's truly time against those super elites, but he's so freaking special that that time is is freaking now. I mean, in some ways, this almost feels like a step backward, although he's got to go up the ladder rung after rung and become the mandatory contender because nobody wants to fight him. And in that way, you know, as Dan Kenobi, I was on his show this week, he mentioned it's kind of like when Spence was coming up. The other welterweights were going, whoa, whoa. You know, Spence had to do the same thing, became Kell Brooks mandatory and went to England. Luke, if this was not Clayton in front of him and instead... Was Keith Thurman, or you know Ter- Terrence Crawford, Virgil Ortiz Jr., Errol Spence Jr., any other welterweight in the world? Is there anything stopping you from potentially making him the betting favorite? Because of yeah, we don't know it yet, but but your eyes are just like fucking hell. This guy's he's coming he's coming on
0: he would have to show something very special for me to say betting favorite but whatever the odds are he's not going to be far apart and we're also talking about you know whether it's bud or whether it's errol or whoever it ends up being next for him that part remains very much unclear you know the fact that you're even close in odds to say nothing of being potentially favored over them tells you all you need to know already like Obviously, what everyone wants to see is Spence versus Crawford next, but I have to tell you, for some reason that doesn't happen and they end up finding a way to make Spence versus Ennis next. Dude, I know like all your hopes and dreams of Spence versus Crawford might get blown up by Jerron Ennis, so we actually better hope that we actually get that one first because <laughs> I don't know if you're actually going to wind up getting it if Ennis gets his hands on him yeah. uh, before Crawford does.
1: I-, I haven't felt this spirit since, you know, rookie year lebron i mean i really mean it it's it's something very now
0: bc we talked a gang of shit also about um we talked to what we, we we have promoted i'm, I'm trying let me let me explain to my friend who's only ever no, lived in no the forget
1: jesus i have no idea what you
0: just said <laughs> A gang of shit. You never heard that expression? A gang. Oh, of shit I thought before? you
1: said "gay shit," and I'm like, "Whoa, bro! Whoa!" I mean, you know, you, <laughs> what, what, what? we don't get down like that.
0: I mean, you know, because he's you... like, "Stop saying the n-word on the air." I'm like, "I'm really not. I'm actually." I mean, I can go back
1: to doing this if you want, Luke. I mean, come on! Wow.
0: Uh, wow. His name escapes me because my brain is broken and I fell asleep at my desk last night. The gentleman with the red hair mohawk who got served that we had said was also potentially going to be the next big thing. Spike in Carlisle? <laughs> no. Uh, in boxing uh, uh, from brooklyn um what's his Danny name he jacobs got, what he got pieced up on showtime recently oh oh chris colbert chris colbert yes chris colbert um we have we've had we've told the audience guys like that were like oh this guy's gonna go in there and do well and he got mopped up so what what can we say about that or ennis that maybe we're missing that we're for the audience who might be saying i've heard him say nice things those guys got yeah, smoked yeah yeah
1: Um, the, when we talk about, I mean, I mentioned Roy Jones's name. I mentioned LeBron James's name. Like it's, it's a little bit different. It's next level. It's the human. He has everything. He's got size, length, speed, power, quickness, IQ intangibles, meaning like, you know, him and his dad is a trainer and, and, and manager. They're like, they've been, they've been day one preparing for this moment. Like, this is like, this is the guy, you know what I mean? Other guys show flashes of being the guy. Even if he comes out and loses this fight, I'm telling you, this is the guy. Like, this mm. is it. Like, you know it when you know it. Um, uh, you know, so that's what makes it different. And, at, you know, tune in Saturday night and you'll find out. But because I'm not seeing, not only am I not seeing holes, I'm not seeing any, when when he goes, when he hits the video game buttons and does his his thing and inevitably finishes guys, Luke, you dude, you can't prepare for that on any level okay that's why Keith Thurman will not mention Boots, jo- Boots Ennis's name in a sentence it's like that's not even in play nobody's trying to fight this guy no, like look if he any, wins they don't this want,
0: they don't want he looks to be the genuine article but but it just sort of goes to show in Boxing BC we have thought a couple other guys with a genuine article and they weren't so he's got to go and do it he has to make yeah, it happen yeah. let's see what happens but I, mean, I just want to point out there- we have been wrong and we should we should say that
1: you and I sat there and watched Aaron Pico in Madison Square Garden, right? Lose that debut, and, and then lose yeah, but a few I never more. said he
0: was the greatest prospect in MMA history. ESPN said that. that yeah, was Brett really
1: Okamoto said that. Oh, yeah. did he
0: was a Brett in particular? Yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, I've, I've had a series of doozy claims myself, but this, this, all the more reason, all the more reason to just sort of acknowledge to the audience we've been all, we've been down this path with some other guys, and they didn't turn up. But Look, we, normally but we, I can But it would also. Last thing I'll say on this: it would be malpractice, BC, if we didn't also say, "Holy shit, this guy looks amazing." So yes, he does. And by
1: the way, if you're asking if he can't fight Spence next, who does he fight? It might be Imantus Staniosis, the Lithuanian fighter who won that brawl against Butaev. Only you, on care, the, about
0: that. Only you I, care about
1: that. I would that. care about that for that secondary title. Who cares about that? Uh, Luke, Every time I can't bring up one of my best friends in the industry, Brett Okamoto, without you trying to say, Oh, BC, you, want, you I think you want to bang him. You know what I mean? But Luke, that comment that Ioana made that one time, the reason why I harp on it is because... You know, if I if I can have I got some goals in this business, right? Like you know, I want I want to call fights, I want I want to do some shit, Luke. Okay, I want to do big boy shit, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we're mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. How do I get How do I get that narrative changed? How does one day you want to on a microphone say I was wrong? It's actually you, BC.
0: Um, you would have to get major facial reconstruction, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you you have to be like John Travolta and Nick Cage and face off, and then also go to the gym for like a decade. Um, <laughs>
1: What if, I, what, if you, what if you gave me like six full months and you're like, BC, all that shit you talk, oh, now I'm going to really get in shape, blah, blah, blah. No, you really, you really have to do it.
0: You six months it. is actually not that much time to get in shape. I know that sounds kind of crazy. I would actually say it takes a couple of years to get in like actually good shape. Um, maybe not quite that long, but a long time. Uh, yeah. Imagine if,
1: if at the end of that six months... Or maybe, you know, maybe we do it next year. You want us to champion again, Luke. That could happen, okay? It could happen. Then we sit down for the big, you know, morning combat interview, and then we find out. That's the moment. We say, you know, Brett's a nice guy.
0: But no, she's gonna be, she's gonna be like that scene from Dumb and Dumber. You're gonna be like, what's the chance? She's gonna be like, one in a billion. He's like, so you're telling me there's a chance? Yeah, I this, knew it.
1: This is unprofessional at best. Uh, Showtime's triple header, 9 p.m. Eastern. You can get it for free. Showtime.com. Get your 30 free days right now. Pound the sand at the end if you don't understand what we're doing on this side of the track. I mean, who doesn't F. want
0: who doesn't want to watch fights? I guess some people don't, but yeah,
1: I, I mean, who doesn't like Bill Cosby, right?
0: You're the worst person
1: in America. No, the documentary on Showtime is fantastic. W. Kamau yes, know, Bell, yes. my man. All right, Luke, let's keep the fun going. Topic four, Luke, uh, Nate Diaz. Dude, we can't stop talking about Nate Diaz not getting a fight to end his UFC deal. We've already done the, oh, crap, this is ridiculous, UFC. Why are you doing this? Well, this narrative keeps going, Luke, and it's uh, Nate Diaz on Twitter trying to basically tell the company, like, like, fuck off. What do I have to do? Give me the fight right now. Everybody wants to fight me. Chandler Poirier... There's nobody that doesn't want to fight me. Let's go to the, the the tweet from Thursday that sort of brought this back again. Luke, probably because Nate Diaz did go seemingly next level, posting a picture, which I can assume is him pissing outside the UFC PI in Vegas. But, Luke, I've been to Vegas. I don't think I've seen trees like that. Have you? Is that the PI?
0: I don't know. The point here. I've been to here... the PI. I've, I've, been, I've been there, but I don't. I don't. I mean, they can
1: grow anything in
0: Vegas with the right with the with the amount of water,
1: which they're going to run out of soon. I hope that doesn't happen, Luke. Okay, you know, eventually name the waters. There won't be any. Okay, you know, there's not going to be any. Uh, So, Luke, um,
0: you're so dumb. Yeah,
1: yeah, brilliantly dumb. That's my. That's my. I know
0: you're brilliantly dumb. I mean, I I acknowledge (laughs) it is. It it is truly brilliant. I will admit, but you are also so dumb. It's fucking hilarious. Okay, great,
1: Uh, Luke. should this have been enough of a statement? I'm pissing on your facility and posting it for somebody. And now, again, we don't know the inside, so it's like hard to tell. But somebody to pick up the phone and say, yeah, I'm Nick Diaz's, Nate Diaz's manager. Sorry. Actually, I'll represent Nick, too. Can we get him a fight? But first, can we get Nate a fucking fight? I mean, are these conversations just not happening?
0: I mean, on the one hand, I think people look at this and they're like, wow, dude, he's really, you know, he's really sticking it to the uh, the man here. But really, all this underscores is how the man is sticking it to him. It's like, yes, you can urinate on their property, and and you can say, oh, I can do this because I, you know, uh, they won't cut you. But like that, the only part of this that matters is the very last line: they won't cut me, dude. He is reliant upon them for the freedom that he craves to be able to make choices about his career, about who he fights next. Think about how crazy that is. And I know we're so used to just taking management's side because when management has control, the fans get a little bit more of what they want in terms of how direct and consistent it is. But at the same time, that comes at a cost. And for me personally, I don't really enjoy the cost of having fighters' careers, um, not minimized, but their their earning potential minimized by virtue of the promoter having an outsized version of control. So it's like... On the one hand, BC, I get how this is like very class clown, but the joke is always on the class clown because, like, dude, you're the one stuck in class. You're the one stuck in detention. You're in there with them. They're not in here with you. Um, and and really, that's what all of this kind of underscores to me.
1: Well, Dustin Poirier would end up responding, basically saying um, a real man would have shit. On yeah. The lawn. In
0: fairness, I have seen people um, in, in the military who got detained use feces as a weapon. Yeah. You know, old, so he didn't old really Dana go all White. In, I've seen he what hates in shit. looks like.
1: Yeah, old Dana White hates shit, Luke. He called the shit poop. I mean, it's great, right?
0: So it's Dustin twice and Gaethje once getting their back taken?
1: Yeah, that's when Nate posted a picture of all the other guys getting subbed out saying these guys suck. And then he put out a, and here's middle finger emoji for bitch-ass Venom UFC gear, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's Nate Diaz tweeting, Luke, and a lot of people... Uh, ret- I retweeted that, too. It was hilarious, Luke, you know? I mean, the Venom yeah, I gotta stu-
0: say, Venom and uh, The Rock, they are, in principle, no different than what Reebok did to the fighters, yes. yet for some reason, everyone just decides that they get a pass, so... Would you
1: agree, though, that the, the Reebok stuff is, like, just way more professional-looking? The Venom shit sucks, Luke.
0: No, I, I would actually disagree. I thought Venom stuff looks better, but it, no. it's irrelevant. It's like... It, we shouldn't be looking at it at all. Um, so
1: No, well. I, I see, I, I stand firm on disagreeing with that historically, and it has nothing to do with... I know, but your argument
0: th- is really it's bad not. for this.
1: It's not. Dude, seriously, when you... Like, you remember in, like, AAA baseball? I know the Major Leagues does it now, so it's hard to make this comparison, but, like, you know, when we were growing up, Major League Baseball had stadium walls that were clear but like triple a baseball had like joe's car works on there or or you know 24-hour massage signs on the home run wall right you know what i mean luke it's just kind of carnival you know barnstorm and bs um when i go when i see the flashes of the highlight reels of these fighters and it shows the pre reebok era it just it jumps out as like a minor league to, to be
0: I, taken I couldn't possibly disagree more to be taken cage, this serious dude look, this, they put this is up you, a condom station for where the fighters got their hands wrapped yeah they're, they're they scrotone, have the audacity yeah. to talk about whether or not the the the, the, the kits are littered with no abs. i, I mean, nailed this joke.
1: luke i actually this is a great call by me the point is this luke they want to be taken super serious. And at, at this point, they should look at how much they sold for. Look at the TV deal. I mean, look, I mean, Dana White and company, like, you're absolutely t- legit. Although, yes, look, they're still very tone deaf in some hilarious and s- largely disappointing areas. But, dude, when you, it's night and day when I see those, and then I see them in the Reebok here, and lo- they look like uniformed employees. And I don't mean any of that to the financial issue that is really the hate that was thrown at Reebok from the beginning. It wasn't the look, Luke. It was the financial side, right? so. Well, no, it so. was
0: the look, too. The early looks were panned for looking like painters. Remember that?
1: Okay, but you don't think it looks more uniform and professional to try to... Are you well, saying I shouldn't put uniform, lipstick on the pig? Because they're
0: wearing uniforms, but, like, like, so what?
1: So are you saying no lipstick on the pig? Dude, it's fucking cage fighting, right? That's what you're saying.
0: Listen, I don't... I, well, I mean... Okay, so I have a different opinion about the Venom gear. Like, by itself, aesthetically, you prefer the Reebok gear. Aesthetically, I prefer the Venom gear. So the Venom gear, to me, I don't think looks bad. Like, I actually feel like it looks quite nice. So in that sense, I do appreciate the look of it. However, it's not the point. The point is not, gee, as the consumer, is this situation very pleasing to me or not? The question is, what is appropriate? And uh, number one, I, I'm not really bothered by the ad. I mean, this, look, this is what this all comes down to. The UFC decided we get to litter all of our spaces with ads. You as the fighters don't f- fuck yeah. off if you don't like it. That's well, what, and there, there's nothing else to this argument. There's no other part about, well, aesthetically on camera, they're really, it's got nothing to do with it. The only thing that matters is we're up here. You're down there. If you don't like it, tough. That's it. Everything else is a fucking distraction here. And so, for me to sit here and be like, "Well, the UFC can just fucking paste ads everywhere, and the fighters can't." This is this is what it comes down to. That the, all this other shit you're discussing is meaningless. Luke, your
1: your mimic of like a stupid person's voice, which you do often, is one of your best moves. But it's also the same voice and face you do. Um, in other sort of celebratory things, is that also your O face, Luke? Is it really just one face? Like that's that's the one thing you got there.
0: Are you dying to see my O face? I don't think no, there's no, anything no. I mean, it was it whatsoever. was
1: it was awkward asking the question to be fair. Yes it, but, yes, it
0: certainly was.
1: But like when you're fake rapping, that's the same face you got too, Luke. Okay, you're not picking up slowly on your mannerisms.
0: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. There's a little bit there. There's a little bit there. I mean, you know. All right, I don't have many. I'm not. I'm not Al Faran. I I can only do you know. Nate had two, two
1: more tweets scorching the earth. One of them said, shut up, bitch, go to sleep. And your last fight sucked, too, pumped up amateurs. And there was a video of Dan Hooker KOing Gilbert Burns. So this was a response to Gilbert, I'm assuming. Uh, and then one more said, don't worry about Burns. He's stupid as shit. So there we are, Luke. I mean, look, everybody wants to fight Nate. There's no shortage. So just give <laughs> yeah, him the fight.
0: Nate is <laughs> Nate's Nate great. Is really... Just out here making friends, huh? Yeah, I mean it's the best. Uh Luke,
1: topic five. Uh in the aftermath of Rose Nami Yunus's, uh women's straw weight title loss to Carla Esparza in the rematch last weekend. UFC 274 and boring as balls. Unfortunately, Luke. Uh Pat Berry, the coach and fiance of Rose, appeared on Ariel Hawani's MMA hour. And Luke, they went a damn near an hour. Rose jumping in and, and explaining, and you know, I'll give Ariel credit. He asked some Some very hard questions from Sean Strickland's grooming comments all the way to the strategy in the fight and whether Pat is too close to the situation as both full-time assistant coach and fiance, not to mention also asking him, are you talking too much in the corner? Maybe should Coach Whitman be there? So Luke, that's a lot to begin with. Pat's answers along with Rose's were interesting as well. What do you, what was your biggest takeaway? I know you, to be fair, not as a stand against Ariel or Canada, you didn't get a chance to watch this. I but did. You I did, read all the, yeah.
0: I read the did transcript. read
1: yeah. uh, the aggregation about the interview. What was your biggest takeaway from a, you know, pretty damn revealing, uh, you know, look into this couple's life to some degree?
0: Um, okay. Two things. One, on the fight itself, it seems very clear to me that, like, I don't know what the right role for him is, but I do know that it can't be everything. Like, this idea that, like, I'm going to be the romantic life partner, which is not my business, they're adults in that sense, although we'll talk about that part in a second. But for for the purposes of this argument, like, there's nothing wrong with being coach or fiance, and maybe you can be both, but I have a feeling he can't. And that, that's very, very difficult to do. I don't know that a lot of people could do it. but It just seems to me like one is kind of influencing the other, and then you're not. It, it, that role should be distinct. It seems to me if you're gonna, you could, be, which isn't to say you couldn't do it like in the training room, day to day, week to week. But like on fight night, I think Trevor Whitman needs to take the lead. Like there needs to be some separation there. It just felt too involved too hands-on to managing every part of the life right like that was the weird read that I got was that like yeah it just felt like that there was a lot of decisions that were professional related that bled into the personal but that bled back into the professional and that he seemed to be feeling like he had a role in all of it. I don't know if that again, everyone's going to live their life differently, but it just seemed to me for professional purposes, a firewall should be created there and lived out. I think you would get better outcomes. That was the first thought I had. No,
1: yeah, I thought that's a very sober way of summing it up because it is like I get like I. Part, what I mean is this. I thought the interview was so revealing and, and sort of oddly intimate in a way that like I got to really understand Pat Berry and I came away with equal feelings of like. You know, some questions in some areas, mostly what you're saying in terms of the roles and and it bleeding too much into the assistant coach role, but also, you know, the guy knows that he can't win no matter what he does given the situation, And, and they seem to have come to terms to a large degree with that as a couple, which is good for your mental sanity. But it does feel like when a fighter or basketball player has a dad that's also the coach that, you know, it, it becomes, can become problematic and cross lines. Did I love that, you know, Pat didn't even mention Coach Whitman's name or really put some proper respect on him? You know, like I get Pat doubling down and protecting his role so that people realize that, yes, I'm sure behind the scenes – especially in terms of encouragement and the mental game, there is a, probably a monster role that of course there is we know you know look at the the fun moments between Pat and Rose through the years you know when she won back the title and that whole spiel and all that was great. I, I cried. I was wonderful. but you know sometimes it's like does he does he while he wants to protect to the public that that I am valuable in this regard, I didn't like the, the not only the lack of at least you know, in words, the respect to Coach Whitman, but the way that it sort of like talked about Rose as a fighter, almost painting this picture that you know the coaches are pulling all the strings behind the scenes, and you know talking about the deviating the game plan. Like, look, Luke, in terms of the fight, after listening to them at length, basically my opinion is um, they got got, they got they got called. You know, they they went all in, and, and Carlos Barza called them, and they and they didn't have you know enough time or enough you know all altering to the game plan to do enough to make sure they won that and they got called and they are i get why team nominee units is happy to have okay if we had to lose let's lose that way she didn't get solved it was more of just a disappointing scratch your head moment but they seem almost too reserved in that and also you know some of this comments pat making about um i don't just some i mean i can pick it apart but just some of the, the terms right there i i do wonder you know I don't like see them almost saying like you know we had to trick Rose in a way we it was the first time she ever followed the game plan and then round five when she needed to be more offensive we told her not to because we knew that she would anyway so we were almost it's like what are you trying to trick her and then the one time she doesn't do it then it's a it's a it's just look do you get what I'm saying here it's a, it was just a little bit weird like yeah I, mean, I get
0: I don't I don't know the best way to give Rose advice I mean I don't, I don't know her I don't you know I, I do leave that up to her coaches but I always get a weird vibe. And by the way, this is like a different way. I mean, I don't want to bring the COVID debate into this, but this is sort of what the CDC has been credibly accused of, which is rather than just give you what the information is and allowing you to make a choice, we're actually going to say something that's slightly or pot- potentially way off because by doing that, we're going to shape uh, actions as an incentive structure by giving false or you know misleading information. Again, a fight corner versus a broad sort of public policy are very different things. But the point I'm trying to make is, you can do that kind of stuff, and you can do that kind of stuff. I think to certain kinds of fighters, but dude, they just didn't have a winning strategy. Like whatever the answer they wanted to give about what well, we were trying to, you know, elicit well, look, here's this what he said: a, the strategy wanna... behind it d- was never going to get them there anyway.
1: Well, I want to cut you off and just—it's a defense of them, but it's also an explanation to what you said about the winning strategy. Basically, how Pat summed it up at length to Ariel was that they were gonna—they knew that they were gonna get booed but they knew there was going to be a moment in time that would open up in the fight where Carla would do something, and when she did that thing, whatever tell that was that she was going to do, Rose was going to land the knockout blow in some form, and they thought it was going to come in the first round. But what Pat ended up saying, Luke, was that the moment came up twice where the opening was there— and this is where it got weird. He says Rose slipped both times because the octagon is very slippery and Pat thinks UFC should look into it. I mean, this whole thing it. was
0: weird, dude. I and he really might be have... right,
1: but Luke, before you cut me off, the whole point of me cutting you off was to end with this. Then Pat went on like there's almost like spiritual powers against Rose winning. And then, like, it's almost like they're content with the loss because they didn't take damage and they believe that there's powers outside pushing them to, like, I, that whole part, Luke, was, it was a little beyond me.
0: Yes, like again, the the through line there for me is right. Well, like we had these ideas and we try again. They, to be clear, they didn't go and say roses at fault. That's not like go listen for yourself. You, you'll hear that. That's not what they really did. Everyone's trying to be as respectful and understanding, I think, as they can be. But there was this undercurrent of, you know, well, I tried. You know, I I tried in all these areas to be like this greater you know invisible hand or direct hand of influence and you know whether or not that was adhered to is a different story than whether or not i was actually this sort of you know benevolent force and it's like i do believe he can be a benevolent force i think that part is true but not in all capacities in this all-knowing in every situation kind of way it seems like that message got lost and the roles got unclear and they did not have a winning strategy, or a, frankly, a winning implementation strategy. And I think the bigger issue is there need to be clearly defined roles And I think better, better strategizing next time. I
1: agree. It's like they 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 allowed this intimate portrait to explain themselves. And again, I have to like some areas. You got to stand up for them and say, you know, I thought Pat Field did the whole grooming thing and Sean Strickland thing perfect. You know, and 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 sort of saying like, you know, I don't care what other people think. That's not the truth. And given the roots of of the origin of the stories written and what things were told falsely, whatever. Um, but in terms of her being the best she can be, as she's one of the all-time great talents, it, it does, unfortunately, given too close of an intimate look, now makes you wonder, should his role be reduced? Should Coach Whitman get more of a say? I mean, it's, it's, you know, we don't know. We're not there every day. That's why it's always hard to speak to what uh, the relationship between coach and fighter. But when that relationship is also a deeper at home relationship, then it it, it just, it's more intense and and it's more highly scrutinized. And this was a fight where we did not get the best out of the champion and she lost her belt. And frankly, it was her fault. So uh, Luke, the only other thing I want to say on this part of the topic specifically, do you believe at all in the trends and the numbers? Because I think it was Jed Goodman or, or someone else on Twitter was really pumping up beforehand that Rose was on a stretch Ever since she lost to Carlos Barza in the inaugural uh, strawweight title fight in 2014, where she won three in a row, then lost, then won three in a row, then lost, and now this if she had lost here, it would have kept that pattern going. So basically, Pat's saying that because this loss, which was part of the pattern, wasn't damaging, now we should get ready for, I think in theory, three more dominant wins in her regaining the title. Yeah, see, um, I don't
0: believe in superstitions, so...
1: But isn't it weird though that that's played out that way? That's really what I'm saying. Like, isn't it's, that?
0: It's unusual. It's slightly. It's definitely. It's definitely unusual. It's definitely unusual. But like, dude, the, like, oh, now I can just count on three wins. <laughs> no, you can't. No, you definitely cannot. You're in the Ultimate Fighting Championship at the highest level. You can't count on shit happening. Obviously, Rose is a tremendous talent. It wouldn't surprise me if she had three or thirty more wins in her. Like. That's not crazy, but like this sort of expect this expectation that it will just happen, like no, like none that no, that's not at all how life works, no.
1: And Luke, finally, as people could see on this lower third, uh, BC, the other news... I've
0: never been able to count on W's happening. Sometimes they happen, yeah, but I can never count on them. No, no, no. Uh,
1: I, I all, all I do is expect to win, 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 no matter what, Luke. Sometimes it just falls apart. Uh Luke, uh, the other bit of news, of course, was that Rose and Pat Berry revealed that they had reached out team you J- young jay check at uh, american top team and said look we we'd we wouldn't mind training with you or helping you in any way to prepare to fight wayley jongs for her rematch so uh luke uh, ariel had Yoan on right after and asked her about it and everyone seems super excited about this happening um are you surprised at all by this
0: i mostly don't care to be candid um Am I surprised? You know, I would have been years ago, but I've seen enough now where when people get to a certain level in their career, um, there's a degree of open camaraderie with former opponents that it doesn't happen for every kind of senior level fighter or more advanced fighters. It's not universal, but you do tend to see a little more stately... um, reach across the aisle kind of thing to people you've really had some long and intense and difficult and frankly kind of final battles with Silva and weidman having a, 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 a late kind of friendly peery kind of relationship is sort of testament to that but there's been many many others so it's it's uh it, it, in a vacuum it is unusual but in the broader context of the game it does make some sense actually and it's a good thing to see i suppose
1: yeah, I like to see the friendship side of it, considering how tenuous it was in the, in at least in the first, uh, Rose versus Ioana outing. Uh, Luke, she basically said Rose in the end. She laughed, but she said Suhudo had some, you know, uh, talking some crap before her rematch with Whaley. So she liked to get him back. She said she was just kidding, but that's at least part of her motivation there. Um, interesting stakes now on this Ioana rematch, as we talked about the other day, Luke. That. Number one contender at stake here against Whaley a second time. And Luke, you know, we were talking about this glory era of this division. Think about it. This division is seven and a half years old. There's been five champions. They're all still active and in the title picture right now. And they've all faced each other multiple times with the exception of Carla Esparza versus Andraj. And every single fight between these five, to be honest, has been like memorable or or action or you know something monster happened and we could with the be seeing of
0: saturday right
1: with the exception of saturday although it has produced some large talking points certainly um with the exception of saturday and now they're all going to just keep fighting each other because we're going to get Joanna whaley too the winner's going to fight uh Frickin' uh Esparza potentially Andrade's right there right there. Um you um Rose is gonna need a big name opponent coming back, probably in some form of a rematch or trilogy. Like holy shit, Luke, this is as good as it gets, dude.
0: Yeah, this is um this is a hell of a division. It makes some of the debates about goat at this weight class a little silly, although they're an inevitable like It's not a silly question to be like, hey, who's the best ever in this weight class? That's a very normal question, but it just goes to show we're at such a stage of it that, yes, you can probably come up with an answer, and and it's a good one given the, the current set of circumstances, but in the range of what's possible here over the course of time, this is still the infancy stage of everything, so it's a great position to be in, but an early one just the same. Indeed, indeed, good stuff there. Uh, Quickly on the way out of the news topics of the week, Luke, uh, that
1: fight this weekend, the boxing sort of doubleheader type deal that we cared about, pay per view from Dubai on the Burj Khalifa helicopter pad. There was supposed to be 120 spectators who paid something like $150,000 each, in at least in British pounds, not dollars. The point here is it was going to be Floyd Mayweather versus some guy, Don Moore, in the main event, and Anderson Silva versus some guy from Brazil in the co-main. Now the card's called off less than, what, 24 hours later because the president of the UAE has passed away and the, the country has you know put forth a uh, distinct time frame of, of, of mourning and fasting and, and what have you. But Luke, uh, they say they're going to reschedule it. This should be the moment for everybody to just go like, can we just, can we just fold this shit or sell it to frickin' uh, uh, Triller at this
0: point? I don't. Does, I mean, well, Triller overpays for everything. Would they overpay for this? You think? Probably, <coughs> probably. <laughs> probably, Floyd would come out and be like, "I had my greatest payday ever." We'd be like, yeah. "God damn, dude, Triller just burning money."
1: Uh, speaking of Triller, they're back this weekend, but it's like it's like here's the criticism: it's not boxing versus MMA in this triangle ring, and you know, it's real boxing, and it's. Kind of interesting. So, former light heavyweight king and pound for pounder, Sergey Kovalev uh, hasn't fought since being knocked out by Canelo in their title fight, what, four years ago ish? And he's back at cruiserweight now, taking on the brother of Kubrat Pulev, Termel, who's 36 and unbeaten, but isn't a killer. But Kubrat's also on the card against somebody you don't care about, Luke. So, in the end, do you care at all? We're going to get the the sons of Fernando Vargas on the undercard and probably Holyfield's son, too. I don't know. Whatever.
0: Tell you what. If you put it on Have You Seen This Shit on Monday, I'll care about it. Short of that.
1: You're like, if I see it in the toilet as I flush, I'll watch it. Yeah. Okay. Finally, Luke, 35-year-old Amir Khan has followed Kel Brook, the man who just knocked him out in their... Finally celebrated All-England duel, has, has retired himself, age 35. Uh, Luke, I have so many great things to say about Amir Khan in the career he's had, in the balls he's had, but he's also at times sometimes too willingly been somebody that's gotten made fun of a lot in boxing for certain reasons. How do you sort of sum up from your vantage point what to say about what Amir Khan gave the sport?
0: I think he, uh, sorry, from the Olympics, uh, representing both Great Britain but also of, of being of Pakistani heritage, I think it engaged those parts of the world dramatically and energized them, especially when he was a young stud just coming into the pros. Um, he was electrifying for a time. He fought a lot of tough guys. He was in some big fights. He won some big fights. And he was, uh, for a time, you know, certainly one of the most uh, fun guys to watch in boxing for a short amount of time I, I would say that's true but i think the 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 latter story about him and really like you know quitting against terrence crawford the way he did and Kell brook beat his ass and you know taking l's the way he did against uh, canelo and some other guys too where you know his chin was gone his legs were gone his speed was not really what it once was and so you know he was a very diminished version of himself yes. at the end here but for a time you know, And I remember him coming out of the Olympics as well. For a time, he was an electrifying star I mean, in he boxing, was, and so he had a great career.
1: You're right. He was a legitimate superstar, and he carried himself like one, which is something I always respected, whether he got knocked the hell out or not. He came back talking like a champion, acting like one. It became comical with some of the big losses, um, the fact that he never really had a chin as a pro, unfortunately, and it followed him. Now, in some ways, you have to give him credit. He sustained, despite having one of the worst elite chins we've ever seen, and his offensive skills at, at his best, were, I mean, they're sublime as hell, but never could put it together. There was some off-the-ring weirdness, Luke. They remember when he accused Anthony Joshua of sleeping with his wife. There was that weird masturbation video that floated around. There's been some L's. But at the end of the day, why do you love a guy, right? If he's a superstar, he's going to be on your TV, whether you love him or hate him. I love the intention that Amir Khan had of fighting anyone who was available. I think that the biggest letdown in his career, if there's even a tragedy in there, is that he never got Pacquiao in the ring because they had the same trainer for a long stretch of Freddie Roach, although those I hear there's legendary sparring matches, and he never got Mayweather in the ring. And Luke, it wasn't for lack of trying, and it wasn't for lack of deserving. Now look, inevitably, I think he's always going to get knocked out by Floyd Mayweather, but I still wonder at times, because there were, there were points where Floyd slam dunk, it should have been Amir Khan, right? Big money, big... People would care, and he would probably knock him out. But we always wanted to see what that would have looked like for the first four or five rounds because Khan could be that good offensively. We never got that. But give him credit. He went up two divisions to fight Canelo. He would have fought anybody, dude. And he fought Hatton and Malinagi. I mean, he fought everyone that he could, Luke. So shout-out to Amir Khan. Please don't come back.
0: Yeah, he had a good career. It's over. Thank you. He had a great career.
1: Saw him and Floyd posing yesterday, Luke, and it was awkward. You know what I'm saying? It was very awkward. All right, Luke. What else is awkward is they allow us to speak into a microphone largely unfiltered. We do pay the piper every Friday. When you send an email to morningcombat at gmail.com and you point out with receipts that B.C. and Luke squatted on that L, right?
0: Take that L.
1: Like a naked man on a chain link fence because we were dead wrong. Dead Wrong. I'm big meat. Call me Larry Hoover. Yeah. All right. Hey, Tyler's here. He says, hey, donks, I'm coming for both of you. Luke, Uh how does that make you feel?
0: I don't care, but go ahead.
1: I (laughs) I mean, if Tyler's coming on, I guess so. When discussing Rogue One, BC says that Chiru Imwe, played by Donnie Yen, is a Jedi. This would be dead wrong. He's a guardian of the wills and not a Jedi. Okay, Luke, I will take that L. But I don't want to know that. Do you know what I'm
0: saying? I know, like he wasn't a Jedi, but he was definitely like the Force adjacent.
1: Yeah, right? he had the shit. He, I mean, he was blind and he was. I mean, was... he was
0: like, I am with the Force. The Force is with me. I am with the Force. The Force. Is with me. I mean, I mean, he was real Jedi type shit kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, Dooku was no longer a Jedi, but that guy still used the good arts and mixed it with the dark, right? And had that yeah, well, dick he curved was, he sword. Was, uh,
0: he was Sith.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, but Luke, now it's time for Tyler to come after you. To go one step further, Luke, you said that I am the force, the force is with me. That's dead wrong, too. It's I am one with the force, the force is with me. Yes, I'm a I nerd.
0: Care? I want, BC, look at me. Do you think I care about getting. <laughs>
1: Well, here's what Tyler said. Yes, I'm a nerd, and I will see my low-T self out the door. It's yeah, I mean,
0: this Thanks guy for... hasn't had his D-S'd in probably <laughs> oh ever, God. so, you know.
1: He, he doesn't fug chigs is where you're going with that, Luke. Okay, this one comes in from a few guys, before four of them. Uh, But it's Jordan from Hawaii who's making the larger statement. He says, hey, Donks, episode 298, around the 45-minute mark, Brian mentions how Trevor Whitman coached three fighters on one UFC pay-per-view event last year, referencing Gaethje versus Chandler, Rose versus Whaley, and, quote, the Woodley fight. Presumably talking about Usman. BC, not sure what year you think last year was, but Usman fought Cuffington at UFC 268 on November 6th. Woodley was already gone from the UFC, about one month out from rematching Jake Paul. Love the show. Great interviews. Looking forward to more content. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. That's, a, that's a fair
0: one. That's a fair one. All right. All right, Jordan. You think Jordan's a big Holloway
1: guy or more of like a, uh, a uh, Kai Kameka fan? Who? The guy with the best tattoos in all of MMA. He oh, fights for,
0: um, Kai Kamaka?
1: Yeah, yeah, fights for Bellator. I mean, yeah, he has a good. win, but... He has, he has
0: phenomenal tattoos. Great tattoos,
1: yeah. Uh, this comes from Jared. He's got a picture to show us, but let me read the description first. He says at one hour, three minutes on Monday, Luke said, quote, we had Nate Diaz tweeting last night saying the trilogy is done or whatever, end quote. Nate did post a date. But it was a spoof translator account Uh, that said, the trilogy, it's on. It looks like McGregor even applied to the account. Take this L, and I'd like to get some praise for my timestamp as well. Y'all are the best. Keep building the brand. It's Jared.
0: Fair enough. I'll take that L. All right. I'll take that L.
1: Any chance you think it's Jared from Subway uh, tweeting from from the can right now, Luke?
0: I don't understand strapped bro Six sour jellies. Six Hour is uh, I don't okay. speak
1: Crumlin Luke he, okay. No, know Six
0: Hour is a, a weapons manufacturer they make handguns and they make more than that but um but they're they're known for it it, it it's spelled wrong anyway um I don't Do You think look, I
1: can last in in their in their Crumlin hood Luke
0: No No dude you're from a working class place that's Yo tough, I'm one 8th but...
1: Irish though all right
0: Okay, what does that mean? That means you're not Irish.
1: My great-grandmother was a Brady. (laughs) That means
0: you're seven-eighths, not them. Yeah, you're not Irish. All right. Well, Rose and I, Luke, are both Lithuanian, and that's my
1: dominant trait at the moment. Um, One of them is, yeah. Yeah, we got another Jared. This guy has two R's, though. He says, Hey, Donks, on Monday's show, when discussing titles being surrendered, Luke, BC, and Bronstetter all said Machida dropped his title to Forrest. I believe you're thinking of the first Machida versus Shogun as Aaron would say, "Fight Shogun." Sorry, uh, there was little activity, but Machida did win. So you donks are dead wrong. Forrest Griffin never fought the dragon. Wait, what?
0: I thought we said that Forrest.
1: No, we said that Rampage and uh, Forrest beat Rampage. Rampage for
0: lost call. to Forrest is what I thought we had said, which is definitely true.
1: Yes, that's what we said. I think this guy Jared is dead wrong. This might be I think the guy he's from dead from wrong. Somewhere. I mean, maybe we yeah.
0: misspoke, but I'm pretty. Sure, like, I don't recall us saying it that way.
1: Now he needs to bring a timestamp of his attempt at the yeah. first time. See, this is stamp, why the timestamps
0: okay. are crucial, man. Yeah,
1: yeah. We don't have the time though to go back and stamp you for it like the tramp you are, Jared.
0: All right. Piece yeah. of shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I fucking hate Jared
0: with two R's, right? Like, come yeah, why don't you dude? put some more R's in your name, Jared? <laughs>
1: Jared? Yeah, indeed, all right. Uh, this is from uh Mark and wasabi. I don't know if that's his last name or his partner Luke, but hey Luke and Brian, I got a dead wrong for Señor Luke on this week's Wednesday show at 4:55. Luke said that the oh, sorry, at the 1 hour 4 minute and 55 mark, Luke said the MK audience are mostly boxing fans. Get out of Dude, your Delta 8 section. Why the section. fuck would I
0: ever see BC? Have you ever heard me no, express no. that opinion? In fact, Oh, they're saying oh. I did oh, say shit. this. Oh, shit,
1: Mikey said, Mikey Mormal said you did say okay, this. Okay, I did
0: say this, but I may have, he, and my, our producer's saying I misspoke, but I did say it. Okay, if I said it, then clearly that is wrong. But I hope the fans understand, BC, did we not have a huge meeting about this where I made very much not that point? True or false? Yes,
1: yes. So, yeah. So we need to get out of the routine... Of putting dead wrongs that are just like, okay, obviously he said the wrong name, right? Dead wrongs are supposed to be like, you think you're smart, but really you're you're, you're, you're yeah. wrong, you know? You're yeah, fucking yeah. wrong on that fact,
0: you, you jerk. I it's don't, really, in, Luke, any way, I don't trap in any way believe that MK fans are predominantly boxing fans. I don't believe that for two seconds. It's, it's Alright, well, opposite.
1: let's hear his rant. Get out of your Delta 8 Flight and get some sleep, you old bastard. Because this is a dead wrong. Since MK fans hate it when you guys talk about boxing and are mostly here for the, that sweet UFC content you guys produce. In all seriousness, it's a small dead wrong. But tell Luke to get eight hours of sleep instead of some Delta Eight gummies. Love you. Keep up the great shit. I don't. That's just some life advice, Luke. He says get better sleep. He Doesn't is he right know about.
0: I need, I need. I fell asleep at my desk last night, dude. I fell. I fell asleep right here doing this number. Yeah, Like with my head like this And so when I woke up dude I had the biggest fucking crick in my neck It hurt Yo, like a bitch
1: Did you have so much spit Like going down your like gut and stuff That was disgusting No
0: I've dude. had that on planes where I sit up Yeah, uh, You're like Peter North to, Is that you dude, Peter went to where I, are I you One time I fell asleep I had like a pint I had fallen asleep almost, This is back in my drinking days And I fell asleep like this but it was just level And so when, while I was asleep it was fine And then the minute I woke up It just poured all right into my lap, (laughs) all of my drink. And I was like, I should have just stayed asleep.
1: Uh, We have a final dead wrong from Greg. He says, uh, my main man, BC, is largely responsible for turning me on to the sport of boxing several years ago. And he remains my go-to boxing analyst and journalist to this day. Uh, To this day.
0: To this day.
1: However, even the best make mistakes, and BC was dead wrong multiple times last week for the same simple error on Wednesday's show and in his CBS Sports recap of the Canelo fight, BC claimed Canelo first moved up to light heavyweight to challenge Sergei Kovalev for the WBC belt in 2019. This is dead wrong because Canelo actually claimed the WBO strap from Kovalev, not the BC P.S. Are you guys still planning to do a live show in Vegas for International Fight Week? If so, I'll see you both there with three beers and a shoe. Cheers from Canada. It's Greg. Wow, Luke. Wow.
0: That's actually a good dead wrong.
1: Yeah, that is a good dead wrong. I was dead wrong. I I was wrong. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Um, Yeah, Luke, we are, right? We are going to be doing a live show because that's why you guys voted for us to win that damn podcast award, Okay.
0: We reward our people. Which one, BC? I've lost track of all these. We feed wars.
1: our cats, right? You know, homeless or not, we're feeding them here. We're feeding I mean, all how them. Many, how
0: many of these are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is
1: not a bit, Luke. It's Chabonese has become our uh, part of our lives. Everyone, it's just it, what it's what it is, Luke. Okay. I mean, Sorry. that's partly
0: true, but you also have sort of you know intentionally made it that way so you uh, dude do?
1: the guy's famous he's all over the place you end up you, you tend to model I, people listen, that, I know, that are successful i
0: know, I know all right I
1: know. it's not my fault he's so successful luke okay <laughs> uh, let's close out the show luke a reminder you can send in your fan subs dead wrongs stick pics whatever you got to morning at gmail.com i only offer sticks here because i don't field that email address so it's up to them to deal with hr um also luke uh we got great merch okay we got this shirt right here. All right. You want You want this mug? I'll sell. I'll sell you this exact mug without washing it. All right. It'd be an extra four ninety nine and a covid test. Uh morningcombat.store now offering flat rate international shipping. So, Luke, uh, what do you think about maybe your Colombians, your your wife's cousins, aunts, uncles? Everybody wears MK this year. What do you think? Flat rate, Luke.
0: I have, and I'm being dead serious about this, I've never told, I, well, I mean, I've sort of told you this, but, like, I really have, I had, like, a, a real moment of clarity, I don't tell my, like, I've been, like, sort of stewing for 14 years about the lack of any career progress I've made with anyone I love, dude, I have, I had a moment of clarity, I have completely given up, like, I don't, I don't care at all about sharing anything about this at all with them, so you're asking, like, will they wear merch? I don't know if at gunpoint anyone in my family could name this show.
1: Oh, boy. At gunpoint. Oh,
0: boy. No, my wife could. My wife You're doing could. skits and
1: bits here? I mean, come on.
0: My wife could. But no one else in the family could. And certainly not either on the Thomas side or her side.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that, Luke. All no, right? dude, it's well, okay. I,
0: it's I, No, no, no. Like, it sounds luckily sad. We built a it's family actually here. liberating. It's, it's like Eddie Alvarez after the loss to Conor McGregor. It's like. You know, you hit that low, there's just really your fun. I mean, I, I interviewed Eddie Alvarez after that loss. He was like, it was liberating. I, I feel free to do all the things I wanted to do now. That's how I feel, BC. I got liberated. You're like,
1: more time to masturbate.
0: Yes. That's right. I don't, I don't need much, though. It doesn't take very long.
1: <laughs> all right. There it is. Wow. Hey, Long Island Luke on the ones and twos is all over it today. Uh, if you want more, MK, not only do we give you live episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at this time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on the YouTubes, you can like us. You can hit subscribe on YouTube here. If you're listening audio only as you run some errands or water the grass, you can uh, leave a five-star review wherever you're listening and downloading this podcast today. It goes a long way, guys. It really, it all adds up to awards and live shows and chances for us to open mouth kiss. Every single one of our listeners and viewers in Las Vegas this summer. Uh, if you want more, MK, though, you can go to YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. we got interviews. Rich Franklin of One Championship, very good. Luke's got some good bonus stuff. Extra credit. Luke, is that knee video going to see the light of day?
0: Yes, it is. Uh, I'm, yes, soon. One I day.
1: Promise. Okay. Also, Saturday night after you watch Charlo Castanio 2 on Showtime because you're going to get it for free, right, for 30 days at Showtime.com. It's a great deal. Can't beat it. Uh, I'm gonna hit you up on the Morning Combat Channel. Instant analysis. It's gonna get intense. Okay, we're gonna talk one five four. I love it.
0: I need it. We need a Delta Eight sponsor. I
1: want it. We uh, line one and two at the moment. Okay. We <laughs> we have been in contact. Okay. All right. All right. I'm all just right. saying. I
0: think it would go well with this show. Like right. you, I, we use Athletic Greens. I use NordVPN. Boy, there's a lot of products I use that we could be making <laughs> money off of that we don't.
1: I mean, I do have limits, Luca, of, of good taste and all that. So I know you, you're close with the folks at Bang Bros. Or so I'm not, we're not I wearing wish. that. Not I wearing wish. that at all. Uh, thank you to our great team, uh, Mikey Mormile, Long Island Luke there, Corey's Lingering, Gaffett in Safe Travels. But uh, Luke, we got the best team in the game, right? I mean, we really do. I mean, that piece of shit, Matt Snyder's not here right now. But besides that, right?
0: Yes. And other than the guy who, uh, you know, is the sort of the head guy for us at Showtime being totally absent on today's show. Yes, that we are well taken care of. Yeah,
1: I love that guy. I do love that guy, though. Uh, <laughs> I, I love doing this show, and I love you, listener, viewer. Thank you so much for uh, d- uh, dialing in and doing what we do here. For the great, and I mean it, Luke Thomas, right? In my family and in yours, okay? I am Brian Campbell reminding you, right? Take good care of what's up here, okay, guys? Do, do the right thing. Take good care of yourself. Um, tomorrow's going to happen. It's going to come, okay? And if it's coming on, it's coming on, bro. Remember that. This is BC with love. Two words.
0: We out. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving
1: to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work